Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to episode 12 of Failed Critic. Uh, I'm Steve Norman. I'm joined, as always, by James Diamond. Hello. Owen Hughes. Hello. And Jerry McCauley. Hello. This week, we've, as well as been reviewing what what films we've been watching on DVD, uh, Netflix, etc., we, Triple Bill, will be about our, what films we'd like to see remade, reimagined, sequels to etc and uh for our film new release we watched the amazing spider-man uh, james just before we get started do you want to give all the listeners a little update on the website and where they can find everything yeah obviously our website failedcritics.com we've had a few more um re- reviews guides um articles posted on there really great article actually from someone called jim shaughnessy um who went to a secret screening uh from secret cinema this week fantastic article about a documentary that he went to see uh really moving gave me goosebumps reading it i just say uh, just go to failcritics.com and read that also um i posted on there uh this week about why i shouldn't be ashamed to go and watch magic mike which is going to be our big review next week i'm looking forward to to you three going to see it as well um <laughs> so that's what, we've, <laughs> that's what we've had on the website failedcritics.com uh our facebook page is facebook.com slash failed critics and we now have enough people on there so i can start to look at trends we've got enough people liking that page to give me access to even more stats which makes me feel even geekier mm-hmm. and fantastic uh and obviously still contact us via the twitter uh, handle or whatever the youth are calling it these days um, at failed critics. Excellent. Well, before we start reviewing films, a little new fun feature for the podcast. At the beginning of every podcast now, I'm going to read off a film quote, and the other three are going to try and guess which film it's from. So basically, once you've got it, shout out. Whoever shouts out first gets the guess, and if you guess it right, you get a point, and then. Uh, We'll keep track of the points and no one will win a prize, but it'll just be a bit of fun. <laughs> what, what do we shout out? Do we have like yeah, a just shout, just, password or something? Just, just shout your name. Okay. It, it's a, it's a, it's a foolproof system. <laughs> <laughs> You've all got different names. It should work fine. It's, it's not quite QI buzzers, but yeah. Got oh, I can't, we can't afford buzzers. We can't afford mics that work. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> A buzzer's now wish. we can. Now we can. <laughs> yeah, can we just apologise yeah. for last week's sound uh, once more? Uh, but now Jerry has stumped up the cash for his sixteen-pound microphone from Amazon, <laughs> and everything is gravy. Come on, it's, it's an improvement on my one pound eighty-six microphone. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the quote is: 
We got no food, we got no jobs, our pets' heads are falling off. It sounds like a South Park quote, but I don't think it's that. Oh, okay. It's quite a popular film, I'm assuming, Steve. Very yeah, popular. It's, it's not I've start, obscure. Oh, I've started off with an easy one. Oh, well, dearing me. Um, okay, I'm, I, now we all I like fucking donkeys. Yeah, I can't hear <laughs> Owen saying anything. I bet Owen's Googling it right now. <laughs> I am. Um, I stumped. Um, if no one gets it, I get the point. Yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, God, my food got no job. It almost sounds like a lyric, but... No, I've I've got to officially give up. Wait, 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 wait. Jerry. Yes. Is there in... He's just done that Aaron Sorkin thing. Dumb and Dumber. It is Dumb and Dumber. Oh, yes. Jeff Daniels. Oh. <laughs> that still, it still means nothing to me, actually. I, I liked Dumb and Dumber as a kid, but that, that quote means that's, nothing That's to one me of my favourite quotes from the film. <laughs> <laughs> I think me and you have got slightly diverging paths in our cinema tasting. <laughs> Um, but yeah, well, I thought it, I thought it'd be a, well I thought it'd be an easy no, film. Like to noise in there, it's been said. Can I have half a point? No, I've got <laughs> no. Jerry gets the point. <laughs> anyway, who wants to start off reviewing films? Uh, I'll start. I'm happy to. Yeah, um, I, I actually only watched two films I can talk about in this section this week because I watched Magic Mike uh, on Monday, but we're reviewing that next week. So I'll say. So I actually got to um, it got to Thursday lunchtime. And I was going, I went camping on Friday morning and I came back today. So obviously no chance to watch a film there. So I thought, oh Christ, I've got to watch two films in a day to have even anything to talk about. So that explains why I went to see Storage 24. Um, it was the only film that fitted into my, my kind of schedule. And I had three, I had three points on my Odeon card. Um, yeah, Storage 24, original screenplay by Noel Clark, um, who you might know from adulthood, kidulthood, um, the original reboot of Doctor Who, which fits in quite nicely with the Christopher Eccleston, David Tennant, that kind of thing. Um, directed by Johannes Roberts. Basically, uh, yeah, it's Noel Clark stars and then some other British actors that I may have seen in Casualty and stuff like that. I think the daughter from Lead Balloon is in it. As, um, I think one of them was in the Inbetweeners movie. Yeah, yeah, that Inbetweeners movie. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, uh, now, basically, the whole thing is, there's a storage place, you know, the kind of people, a 24 hour storage fact, uh, warehouse type thing where people keep their goods. Uh, and there's a couple who've broken up and they're in there separating their goods when a plane falls out of the sky and an alien gets crashed into this storage place. And, oh God, Christ, it's terrible. Okay. It's, it's exactly like the kind of film, uh, that Friday the 13th part five or something. Yeah. It's so horribly generic. Um, there's, for example, there's plot holes running through the entire thing. Firstly, why have a couple who have only just broken up got everything already in storage? Um, that, that, that makes no sense. That it, that's just a stupid excuse to get them into the storage place. Couples don't keep all of their treasured belongings in storage when they're living together. That's a nonsense. Um, the fact that the storage place is like Fort Knox. I've looked around one of these places before. They're not like Fort. As soon as the shutters come down, apparently it's impossible to get out there. Absolute nonsense. Um, there's far too much visual style in it. Like style for its own sake. Loads of stuff where it's out of focus and it slowly comes into focus. They actually have time to fit in the jaw shot with the, uh, 
the zoom in, uh, dolly in and zoom out type thing. Oh, Christ. Um, the dialogue is possibly the worst dialogue I've seen for, for a very long time. This is the worst film I've seen this year, just to make everyone clear. Worst film I've seen this year. The dialogue is all exposition. It, it, everything they say is exposition about the narrative, but half the time it's stuff that we've already seen as the audience and they're explaining it to other characters who haven't seen stuff. So it's actually, it's even boring because we're like, well, we already know that. It's so, so horribly bad. The action sequences are bayesque at their worst in terms of you don't know what's going on. There's two things fighting. Uh, you you no idea who's winning, what's going on with that. At one point, Noel Clark is basically consigned to certain death and then all of a sudden he's escaped. And it doesn't show, it, you never know why or how he's escaped other than you need him to keep it going. Basically, uh, it really reminded me of a uh, famous quote where someone sent in a piece where I really can't remember the original author of this quote, which upsets me, but he said, basically, Storage 24 is good and original, but the good bits aren't original, and the original bits aren't good. In fact, they're absolutely terrible. There's a few alien rip-offs everywhere. And then the ending is just like, oh, I'm so angry about this film. Really, I'm, I'm so pleased I didn't pay for it, basically. But yeah, um, it... Oh. Bless Noel Clark. He is a talented young man. But... I have a question related yes. to Noel Clark. You know, you say the dialogue was yeah. Like, did he exclusively write it? Because the dialogue in Kiddlehood and Adulthood is one of its strengths. Do you know, like the realism. No, um, it, it, I actually found this quite interesting when the opening credits came up. Original idea and screenplay by Noel Clark, and then screenplay by director. And then two other people I didn't know. So Noel Clark didn't actually write the script. He's, Noel Clark came up with the idea, essentially. He's, he's and, actually, I mean, right. a lot of the stuff that he sort of seems to be involved in and more of an acting level. Yeah. I, you know, tends to be quite good. I mean, Kidulthood, yeah. Adulthood were both pretty good. Uh, Apparently, I, although I've not seen it, this new film, Fast Girls, about sort of Olympic mm-hmm. relay team is meant to be not great by any right. stretch, but yeah. sort of a good sort of feel good. That was Movie my option to sort of come. See, actually. <laughs> I wish I'd gone to see that. Um, the problem is, he's a whining bitch in this film. He's been dumped, and he—I I don't care about him because he's just whinging about it. Oh, his best mate also slept with the girl that's dumped him. So you've got that whole dynamic. Uh, it's just—I didn't want any of the characters to survive. Um, the alien wasn't particularly imaginative. Um, overall. Absolutely shockingly bad. I mean, just I, not go and say. I suppose a, a kind of comparison would be: Have you seen Attack the Block? Yes, yeah, and Attack the Block. It reminded me of Attack the Block, actually, in the sense that. But did, um, yeah, did you think Attack the Block was good and far and away better than this, or did you not yeah, like that? Either? And I didn't think Attack the Block was amazing. I liked Attack the Block. Um, I liked it except like for the accents. Just the, yeah. <laughs> everything other than that I thought was quite enjoyable. But you, yeah. you could apply that, that last sentence that you, that you said, James, to Attack the Block. The characters aren't particularly likeable and the aliens no. are the original. But I, I quite like But yeah, I, but there was a visual style about Attack the Block which I liked. And yeah, my main issue with Attack the Block was I didn't, I, there was only the woman in Attack the Block that I was kind of rooting for and the, the young gang. Um, although, in a way, the, the triumph of Attack the Block is the fact that I eventually became neutral 
to to the protagonists because I really shouldn't have wanted them to survive. I didn't really care about them, but I became neutral. In this, I just wanted them all dead, and they hadn't even really done anything wrong. They were just annoying characters that I didn't care about. Um, yeah, no, it just really, really poor. Um, but then that evening, it got to about half ten at night, and I was like, oh, I've still got to watch a film before I go away. Uh, and I looked through my DVDs, and I looked through what I'd taped off film for recently, and I saw Taken was there, and it was 90 minutes, and I thought, why haven't I watched Taken before? Oh, no, I think I dismissed it as... It's the same reason you haven't watched Rocky, it's because you just seem to have lost your man card somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Um, I, I did dismiss it as cheesy, terrible action. I'll be honest, okay? And I quite like my cheesy, terrible action, like um, Crank, Triple uh, X. Yeah, you know, but I, I, for some reason, this had just passed under my radar. But um, as soon as I saw that it was co-written by Luke Besson, I, I was in. I was on board then. Uh, it was ninety minutes, um, and it's got yeah. Liam Neeson is brilliant in it. Uh, he completely drives the story. I won't, it's basically a revenge storyline. Watching it made me think actually. This is what the 24 film should be about. If they ever make a 24 film, I don't care about like the government and stuff like that. I want to see someone being super badass, just taking people down for revenge. Um, yeah, so it, it, really, really good fight scenes actually, and a few great, um, few great quotes and stuff like. That. But no, it, all right, 90 minute, really tight action film. And now I'm really looking forward to Taken Two, which I think is out in October, and which I'm pretty sure we'll be reviewing as our main review the week that it's out now because I've fallen in love with the franchise. So yeah, that's my two films there. So who's next? I'll, I'll go if you want. Go, go on, then. go on then. Um, see, I, I went for well, James went for some sort of violent films this week. I sort of had a bit of a, a response to my overly violent last week with Clockwork Orange and Tyrannosaur, which are two of the most violent films you could possibly watch. I went for something completely different. I uh, watched a couple of nicey kind of happy films. Uh, first one, which I'll talk about quickly, uh, American Pie Reunion, which I must admit I was quite dubious about because it just looked like a tired update. I mean, linking into our triple bill, it did look like a tired reboot update, like they were all sort of, oh, we're running out of money, let's quickly make another one of these so we can, you know, get a bit more money and, and, and that'll do us for, for another five, ten years. But basically, if, if you like the original films, you will probably like this film, unless you're grumpy like Owen and you hate everything like Star Wars and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, it's not particularly clever or subtle or anything like that, but there's, there's still quite a lot of laughs. Uh, the familiarity with the characters is leveraged quite quite humorously a lot of the times, although they they brought Oz back. I don't know if any of you remember Oz, you know, the lacrosse guy who's going out with... Uh, yeah, the, 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 the guy who, the, one of the plot holes in films that annoy me more than anything is he wasn't even explained his absence in the third film, in the wedding. He didn't no, even, no. They didn't even say, oh, we phoned him, he couldn't make it because of whatever reason. They just ignored one of the main characters from the first two films. Yeah, but he's he's randomly back now, but it turns out in the meantime he's become like a presenter of Sports Center or some some equivalent program and he's a big celebrity and he's been on like Dancing with the Stars and stuff. And that's that's used a bit and he's now gone out with some absolute bitch of a, a um gold digger wife basically. Um he's a bit too central for my liking, considering that he was just mysteriously dumped, as you say, from the last film. But otherwise they they you know, they use the sort of you know the you know who the characters are. You know they're sort of 
their personalities, and they use that quite a lot. It, it's decent, it's enjoyable, it's an easy watch. As well as, for a comedy film, it does deal with the difficulties of really realising you're a proper adult reasonably well, not in any kind of depth or anything. It's not going to be thought-provoking, but, you know, it's, it's not as good as the first two, which were excellent, but it's easily as good as the third, if not better. Probably better than the third, actually, the more I think about it. So, if, if you like the originals, go and watch it. That's my advice. I was I was dubious, but it is worth a watch. Second one, completely opposite to the ultraviolet 18s that I watched last week, as I say, How to Train Your Dragon, uh, kids' film. So now I seem like a violent kitty. Well, I'm going down the wrong road here. Um, I'm a bit late with this one, I know, but to be perfectly honest, when I saw the trailer, it looked decidedly average. It looked like another kids' film, so I never bothered with it. Uh, what an error that was. Uh, noticed it in the IMDb Top 250. Thought, should maybe reconsider my decision. And it was a really pleasant surprise. It wasn't just another by the numbers kids film. It wasn't just another animation that the studios are churning out because they know X amount of kids will come in and watch it with their parents. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot more than that, which, which was surprising really, but very good. Um, basically, set in a Viking village who all seem to be a strange mixture of Scots and Americans, by the way. <laughs> Steve would have been enraged by this crazed accent plothole. Um And the village is regularly attacked by dragons. So there's lots of different dragons. Um, there's lots of different kinds of them and stuff, which they used really well and became quite a strong element of the film, although it was quite obvious that that was going to prove significant in some way uh, later on. But it is kids' film, so I'm not expecting Hitchcock twists. That's, that's fine. I can deal with that. Um, and our protagonist is a weedy little lad who is pretty much the polar opposite of the big, strong, fearless Viking warrior that everyone aspires to be, who is embodied by his dad, who is disappointed in how his son's turned out. So that dynamic is quite central to the film. Uh, it's really nicely handled, actually. They, they they explore it enough to motivate the characters, and they don't just give cliched nods to it or anything. It is used quite well. Uh, long story short, lad manages to shoot down the deadliest dragon of all, uh, but he can't bring himself to kill it and make himself a hero, so he lets it go, and then he slowly, of course, tames it. Um, it's a really nice, enjoyable film, really. Um, I basically spent a significant portion of it with a smile on my face, not from jokes or anything, just because it's the kind of film that puts a smile on your face. So it's nice to just watch a film that just makes you smile a bit, and visually it's very nice. Uh, definite recommendation on Blu-ray if you can get it, or I imagine the DVD is pretty good as well. It's visually, it's, it's really nice. The animation's great. Um, HD version is lovely. Um, there's good voice cast on it. Got Gerard Butler as his dad. Um, Jonah Hill, Christopher Mintz-Plast, which is um, McLovin from Superbad. Uh, Kristen Veig. It's just, you know, it's, it's great all around, really. It's, it's tight. The dialogue's nice. It's a good story. Uh, it's probably the best praise I can give it is it's probably the best kids film I've seen since Up, which I absolutely love. So that's that's the best the best thing I can say about it. Really, is it's the best thing I've seen since Up. Yeah, I, I need to watch this. Obviously, IMDb two hundred and fifty. I'm doing the same. Um, I find it really interesting. I think uh, the uh, the animations from Pixar and DreamWorks at the moment uh, is just some of the highest quality film on film kind of runs that we've got going at the moment. I think you, you're almost guaranteed a good film from those two studios in this um, in this format. And I can't think of any other studio or any other uh, 
production team or anything like that that's just having so much success yeah. and just nailing it every time at the moment. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing Brave, uh, the new Pixar film out next month, I think it is. I think already, that's already out in America, isn't it? It is out in America and it's got some good reviews there. But it is really interesting, isn't it, that um, all of a sudden it's like we've gone full circle and some of the best minds, creative minds in the business are making kids' films, but they are making family... They're, they're not kids' films. I think as soon as, comp- as soon as companies stopped saying this is for kids and they just went, let's just make a film which will entertain everyone in the family, they, they, then they've been making... And, you know, obviously you've got to... Disney did that for years, but Pixar really picked them picked up and ran with that ball. Have you seen um, the um, documentary that gets put on BBC quite a lot about Pixar. Yes, it, yes, and it, and it really shows that they just seem to, it seems to be filmmaking with them as an actual loving process rather than let's go out and make a film that's going to cash in at the box office and make us millions. It, exactly, they actually, they actually yeah. care about it from start to finish and they, they want it to be an enjoyable film for everyone. They want to be proud of what they make rather than churning out like Fast Five or something like that. Yeah, and it's there's an interesting thing on the Toy Story, um, some of the Toy Story Blu-ray extras as well, mm. like documentaries about that, and it's particularly on the first one regarding how that when Disney got involved with that, how they sort of responded to Disney pressures and things like that. Because Woody originally in, in Toy Story was, was a complete arsehole, basically, mm. <laughs> um, and the Disney execs came in and said, "You can't have that because no one, no one's going to like him. They have to, they have mm. to like." But you, him. but you can still see elements of that in his character, especially in the first yeah, film. I, I still, yeah. still get some more tips. Yeah, but, <laughs> when they show you sort of the test footage, he is a complete dickhead. But yeah. Yeah. And he's really like not redeemable. It's interesting the way that as a creative team, they obviously have this idea, and yeah. for once, Disney's big executives are coming in and making it even better, which is and a bit of a nice change when you think about Disney yeah, execs. You probably true, imagine actually. them ruining things, don't you? So, uh, no, no, that's true. Kind of, sorry, I was, I was just going to say... Go ahead, go ahead, Owen, go ahead. I was just going to say that How to Train Your Dragon came out at the same time as Toy Story 3, and uh, I think I actually preferred How to Train Your Dragon to Toy Story. Uh, there's an Ball interesting words. commentary on... Yeah, <laughs> but there's an interesting commentary on the, the Blu-ray for... Um, with Toy Story 3. Mm. And it is them talking about how Disney influenced all the story and stuff. But they also have, they let Pixar actually get on with the film as well, I think. They don't, they don't seem to have quite so much of a hands-on, um, pro, a part of the process as, as you might expect, I guess. I think when you've you bought in as much money as they have done, I exactly. suppose, you, you earn that. I think okay. I was going to say the one time where Pixar have made a misstep is when it seemed like a cash and that was Cars 2. Mm. Um, it's the one time it did seem like a pointless cash in sequel I mean, toy, rather toy, than continuation toy, of a story. Toy Story is arguably the best, one of the best trilogies of all time because there's a lot of trilogies where one film will let it down. Where Toy Story, yeah. as an all round, you know, every film being good to excellent, it's there where, you know, Mm. Yeah, uh, no. the interesting thing about the Toy Story trilogy is each one, for the adults, shall we say, because I mean, the kids, I mm. imagine as a kid, you, you, you're not picking up on things, but for the adults, they explore different elements in mm. each one and well, still make it interesting I mean, and make it, comments on you things. Can, you can yeah. see that quite easily because Toy Story 1 came out when I was a child and then... Two oh, and, you youngsters. But then, yeah, I, I had it on VHS when but, I was But then if you, if you were to watch it now, thinking, right, I'm going to watch Toy Story 3's out, so I'm going to watch 1 and 2, if you watch it now you'll notice so much completely different mm. things to what you did when you watched it when you know 
was it 15 years ago the first one came out? I think so, yeah. Even longer than that, mm. I think. And if, and if, like me, you've got a child, which means you've watched, I've watched the entire trilogy probably 20 times just in the last two weeks, but it's still fresh and I still notice little different things mm. about it. And it's fine. And I was, there was one bit the other day and I, I watched it and went, do you know what? I really don't think I've ever seen that before. Um, and yeah, no, absolutely magical films, but away from, yeah, we, we got slightly off track there, but no, yeah. I, I am looking forward to see how to train track. Oh, and just on this, um, kind of, path as well as we saw the um the teaser footage for the monsters inc prequel which uh i'm very massively excited about monsters uh monsters university and has anyone seen the footage for wreck uh, eric yet no. which is um yeah, yeah it's a, an animation about 8-bit computer games um I'm, I'm not sure about that yet though i mean oh, I, i'm very excited i've seen <laughs> some of the footage I can't remember if it's Pixar or not now. I'm going to have to look that up. Um, I think it's either Pixar or DreamWorks. It is definitely one of the two. Um, but they've actually got um, permission for lots of computer game characters to be in that now. So I believe Sonic will appear in it and stuff like that. So as an 8-bit computer geek, I'm very, very excited by that. So, what, what's that called again? Remind me of that. wreck Eric, I believe. Eric, okay, or wreck it something else. I'm gonna have to. I'm looking it up now. Okay. <laughs> well, as, as just to finish off on wreck how it to train Ralph, your dragon, wreck it, Ralph. Wreck it, Ralph. That's the name. I'll, I'll yeah. Um, on how to train your dragon, there is a sequel being planned by DreamWorks, okay, which could possibly be Cars Two style, bit of a cash in, mm. rather well, than well, I think going, they're like they've got, on... they've got Mag- Madagascar Three out now. I mean, come on, like that. They, they yeah. are bond of cashing in on things like they made bloody loads of Shrek films and maybe even made like Puss in Boots by all counts was pretty good but I think they sort of drew out Shrek a bit Shrek, too long Shrek, Shrek, Shrek Forever After was pants Shrek lost its charm because they just killed it basically yeah and, and, but with How to Train, Train Your Dragon though I think they're based on kids books so I think there is a lot of source material for them to keep going back that's, to that's quite good yeah. we'd best get back on yeah. track um, I'll split up <laughs> Jerry and Owen's reviews, so I don't confuse their voices again. <laughs> <laughs> Why ever would you do that, Steve? <laughs> I've no idea. Uh, the first film I watched this week was The Dead, recommended to me by Owen himself. Yeah, interesting to see what you uh, interested to see what you uh, made of it. Um, well, do you want to just give the listeners a quick little synopsis of what the film is about? Uh, okay. Uh, as you <laughs> um, recommended it. As I recommended it, yeah. Okay, well, it's made by two British filmmakers, but the whole film is set in Africa. I'm struggling to remember which country it's in. I think it's Papua New Guinea, perhaps. Um, but yeah, it's um, about this soldier who... Um, oh, Jesus, you know, I can't remember everything about it now. Uh, basically, there's a soldier whose uh, zombies have infested this part of Africa and there's American soldier or mercenary I think he is um, or possibly just a mechanic or something like that but he's involved with the yeah, American he's involved with the American military or American effort out there and the plane he's on on the way out of Africa crashes and he has to basically fight his way through um, Africa to you know, survive basically and ends up teaming up with um, a soldier from the country that he's in, which I think was Sierra Leone, but I'm not sure. Can't quite oh, remember. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was a, it was a decent film. Um, it's by far not the worst zombie film I've ever seen. 
Because there are, I think I'm going to look really, there's some terrible ones out there. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's one on this week on the Horror Channel. If you want to watch a really, really terrible zombie film, it's uh, Rise of the Dead. And I, I say that as it is the worst zombie film I've ever seen. So if you want to see a really, really poor one, it's on the Horror now. Channel. Horror. I mean, with, with the dead, I never really felt any of the characters were in, in that much danger, even though you're obviously meant to get that idea. I just never thought, sort of felt worried for them or felt there were any kind of jeopardy. But it was... Yeah, a, it, it, it's interesting, though. I mean, the, the guy who plays the American soldier, whose name I can't remember, but is a generic American soldier named, like, Taylor. Um, yeah. I can't remember what it was, but I'll call him Taylor anyway, it's probably wrong. He actually caught malaria while he was out there and they were filming. So there were scenes where you think, Jesus, his acting is appalling. You think it couldn't get any worse, his character is really boring and he's not really doing anything. And then you find out afterwards, and I'll, oh, watch the documentary on, it, on the DVD. And uh, yeah, he, he was actually suffering from malaria. They also had loads of other problems, like for 24 hours, they couldn't feed or, or give anyone water on the whole of the cast. Everyone just basically starved for 24 hours. They had loads of problems with the police out there who they had to keep bribing to, to continue filming. So they, they spent half their budget basically just paying off police for doing the stuff they were already entitled to do. It's a really interesting backstory to that film, but it does affect the film, so it makes it seem really slow and laboured. Mm, knowing that, it does definitely affect the film. It seems like it could be a completely different film. Uh, the second film I watched was The Mist, um, directed by Frank Darbont, who's obviously done Shawshank Redemption, Greenwild, The Walking Dead. It actually features about four or five actors who are in The Walking Dead as well, so it's obviously he's got his own little pool of favourites. Uh, based on a short story by Stephen King, basically a uh, sort of small town somewhere with a military presence somewhere in the mountains, uh, mist rolls into town and creatures from another dimension that's been opened up by the military come and terrorise this town. Um, it's It's not a terrible film, Again, I just didn't feel any sort of tension or, you know, when the the creatures were about, it didn't sort of feel that tense or you'd never really felt that worried for the characters. And while I didn't really dislike the characters, I didn't really like them either. I wasn't really rooting for them to survive or do that well. There was a couple of them that were okay, but, you know, by and large, I wasn't really backing them. But it, I don't know if we can really mention it, because it's been out for a long time, but some people might not have seen it. But the ending is one of the best twist endings I've ever seen and M. Night Shyamalan would be proud of this for a long way. It's a, it is a brilliant ending. It's interesting, it's different to the book. So if you read the novel, I think it's really short, like you say, it's about 170 pages, something like that. But the ending is different in the novel. So where, where it finishes in the novel, the, the film continues that to get to the point which is the twist that you're talking about. I think Stephen King even said afterwards that the ending they went with was better than what he had in his story. I really don't know if we should say what it is, but it is just... I wouldn't say what it is because it'll spoil it. It's a great... <laughs> no, I might, I might go and watch it now. So, yeah, don't spoil it. It's just, it, is, it is worth it for the ending. I mean, the ending's just like, oh, I can't believe they've done that. That's just <laughs> mental. I, I like the rest of the film, though. I think, that, you know, the characters... Again, it's one of these where are they meant to actually be likable characters, or are they just meant to, you? Are you meant to just appreciate that they're quite well written, and some of them are quite realistic 
and the scenario that they're faced in, you know, with them all trapped inside the shopping centre. I think it's, um, or whatever it is, supermarket. Yeah. Is, you know, I think they, they react to certain things quite realistically. Like yeah. The woman who goes crazy with the, the religious stuff is. Mm. I don't, I don't like, I didn't like the actor who played the dad because he didn't seem to be able to cry. He just seemed to shout. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or wail. It was just sort of, it wasn't any proper crying when it should have been. I have a quick question, by the way. Has Frank Darabont only got like $3 to his name? Because, like, you know, like Stephen King sells his stories for a dollar if anybody wants to make them into a film. He just keeps making Stephen King films. <laughs> So is he just really poor or something? He's like, oh, need, need a bit more cash, right? Spend my last dollar on a Stephen King book. Let's go. I didn't know that about Stephen King, actually. I was quite, I'm assuming he gets some, like, uh, he gets probably paid gets on royalties. the gross. Yeah. yeah. That's quite, yeah, that's I was going to use, use The Mist for my one of my films last week with the novel adaptations. Mm. But I thought, no, I'll keep it for when we do the creature features, if we ever get ready to do that. That's, that's next week. And next week. Yeah. Oh, is it next week? Oh, yeah. and they, Stolen it from me, so I thought <laughs> I've got to think of something else now. Oh, uh, best finish off with your reviews for the week then, Owen. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, first one I want to talk about is one of the best films I've seen for, for a long time is Night of the Hunter. So it's kind of thriller that's set in, uh, the 1930s, made in the 1950s, about, um, a preacher, Reverend Harry Powell, who is a, uh, serial killer. And it's directed by Charles Lawton, 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 I don't know how to pronounce it, I've only ever seen it written down. But it's the only film he directed. It was the, it's the first film he directed himself. And because of the reviews that it received at the time, it was really poorly reviewed by critics. He just decided, right, I'm never making another film again then. Which is a real shame because it is a fantastic film. I mean, what were the criticisms of it at the time? Do you know? Um, I'm not really sure. I just don't think they, they like the, um, the, the sort of themes to the film. It, it's basically about this reverend uh, who is a serial killer of women, particularly. He, he, I can he, imagine that didn't go down very well with... Yeah, sort of I, I think that must have been it. <laughs> but um, it's also about this guy who is... Um, well, these two children, basically, Pearl and John, very young children. Their dad, at the start of the film, just pulls up onto their driveway and he says to them here I need to hide this money and to find somewhere to hide the money and transpires actually he's a bank robber and he's killed someone whilst robbing a bank so he stole 10,000 pounds so he goes gets sent to prison and sentenced to death whilst he's in the prison this reverend Harry Powell is in there just for I think he gets committed for stealing a car something really innocuous like that despite the fact he's a serial killer and he finds out that actually this, this, this other guy is hidden money and he tries to get him to confess tell him where he's hidden it but he refuses but what he does then is go and marry um this guy's wife this this widow who completely falls for him he's a very charismatic character um and basically he tries to get the kids to to tell him where the money is because there's only the son and the daughter who know where the money's hidden and the dad made the promise not to sell but it's um, it's kind of like a fairy tale story. The, the, the children through it are, are innocent and they're really earnest. And it's about this big, bad bogeyman, basically, who hunts them down. Um, uh, but it's got this really great soundtrack to it. So the songs and nursery rhymes and sort of children hymns and uh, church hymns and stuff the children sing, you know, 
and things like that. It, it kind of adds to this eeriness and it, it bumps up the, the terrifying levels really, really quite high at times. It's, it's fantastically well put together. But it's also a bit like a noir thriller. So he's already got this tension with it and um, uh, Robert Mitchum, who, sorry, well, yeah, Robert Mitchum's the guy who plays the, um, the, the Reverend. It is one of the best performances you'll see from a villain in any film. I absolutely guarantee that if you watch it, the one thing you'll remember is how brilliant Robert Mitchum is in it. He's properly coming across as like a crazy madman. And also, like I said earlier, this charismatic creature type. And um, it's just really, it's fantastic. One of the things that um, Loughton, Lacton, Loughton, whatever he's called, when he was putting the film together, he drew on these sort of harsh, angular German expressionist films from the 1920s. Mm. And I would love to be able to give you some examples of the ones he's, he's that influenced M. him. I bet M is one of them. Probably M, yeah. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> but Nosferatu, I think, comes yeah, into Nosferatu it. Yeah, Nosferatu as well, yeah. Free slang and that kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, with these, it's got this use of shadows in it. And, you know, mm. if you've seen Nosferatu, one of mm-hmm. the you know, famous... The iconic, scenes. yeah. Yeah, the shadows that go there and stuff. It's kind of got that feel to it. Um, but, yeah, it's got great characters in it. It's quite risque at times with some of the, the dialogue um, for a 50s film, anyway. But So, you know, I can kind of understand that at the time, it might not have been received very well because it was probably being quite controversial. Um, but it's a brilliant film. Really, I've, really loved it. I've heard that it... So, watching it, was it quite really kind of creepy and scary at times? Yes, but, definitely. Because I've seen, cause it's a PG, and I've seen it on in the afternoon at times. I've never... Like, a long time ago. But it's it's one of those great things. I've, I've not seen it, but I get the impression it's one of those great films where... Um, it just makes everything bad happen in your head rather than on screen so they can get away with showing it uncut in an afternoon, but it would terrify you if you saw that as a kid. Yeah, it's very psychological in the same sort of way as maybe, um, you know, a Hitchcock film. Yeah. So you you imagine it all happening. You don't explicitly see anybody kills anybody else. Mm. But there's there's scenes in it that are, I mean, (laughs) they are very creepy. I won't won't say exactly what the scene is, but it's just... The guy, um, there's this one guy who's on a boat on a lake and you just see some reeds under the water and there's something that happened with those reeds and you think, that is just, I mean, it's so creepy. <laughs> I can't say what it is without spoiling it, but it's just really, um, yeah. Like I say, I loved it. I definitely recommend it. It's at least a 9 out of 10. I know we don't like reviewing films with scores on the podcast, but yeah. it's definitely one I'd say it's 9 out of 10. Um, the other film I watched uh, was Twilight Zone, the movie, which is a horror anthology. Um, it's basically, basically divided into four segments, directed by, each segment is directed by different people. So John Landis does the first section, Spielberg does the next section, Joe Dante does the third, and George Miller does the fourth. George Miller is the guy who did, um, I think he did Gremlins, he worked on Gremlins. But the, his is the, the story that is the best out of the four. It's, um, Features John Lithgow as well, who is, <laughs> again, another fantastic performance from him. But if you've seen uh, Simpsons Halloween with the gremlin that's on the school bus, uh, yeah. that is basically a parrot, um, or an ode to George Miller's section of that. Okay. I, I, Do you know what I love about The Simpsons, by the way, is the more cultural things you watch, yeah. the more you realise how brilliant The Simpsons is. <laughs> I didn't even realise that that was a reference to this. So. Yeah. <laughs> 
it's um it's great. I think actually that it was was a Twilight Zone um episode which they then shortened into this this film, but I haven't seen many Twilight Zone episodes. So are they remaking episodes of the T V series rather than being original stories, do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's the interesting thing. Three out of the four stories are based on Twilight Zone episodes. Um right. John Landis did at the start, it does the prologue to the film, which is brilliant, and it does. But he does there's the first section, which is about this sort of racist, bigoted character who keeps sort of quantum leaping by him, so he becomes a Jew, Nazi occupied Germany, or uh, Nazi occupied Poland, sorry, uh, becomes this uh, black guy who's about to be lynched by the KKK, Vietnamese man being shot at by the Americans during the Vietnam Vietnam War, which is actually. One of the things that the film is remembered most, I think, is because of the controversy that surrounded this guy, Hugh Hickmorrow, and there were two children as well, who actually died during the making of this film. Uh, a helicopter crashed into them and decapitated them. So I don't really want to dwell on it too much, but it, it does have this strange sort of knowledge, a strange effect on the film, having this knowledge about this, this thing that happened to them. They They all got off though. like Landis and some of the other people were charged when they were like was it was it manslaughter or like, I can't negligence or something like that and they, they all got let off yeah, didn't they yeah and children and stuff like that I, I mean they did get uh, get off with it but they also settled out of court I think but it's you know very dodgy legal brain for us to be talking about on a podcast <laughs> <laughs> maybe we should leave part one there then and, uh, yeah but I, I mean if, if I just want to say very quickly it, the, the Spielberg, we've given him a bit of a bashing in the past, and his bit is by far the weakest of the four. Um, and that's when he was good as well. It was when he was good, <laughs> yeah. It was by far the weakest. It was really typical, sentimental, sickly, schmaltzy Spielberg. Uh, but yeah, I'll end there. I'll just end on a, a negative for a change and say that <laughs> Spielberg, he, he let the film down a lot. <laughs> When he was good, come on. When let's not let's good. not open that can of worms. Christ. There we go. In part two, um, triple bill, it is our top three ideas for remakes, reimaginings, etc. etc. then and as this was James's idea but it's a quite a wordy one I'll let him explain what we're doing okay um, in honour of this week's big release and our main review The Amazing Spider-Man I've asked the, the critics to come up with three films or franchises that they would like to see remade rebooted or have extra sequels but the catch is I want to know who they've got directing that and who they're thinking of starring in it and maybe just what they might change slightly for maybe for a modern audience or for for their views, what they would like to see. So, yeah, that's that's, that's the general gist. Right, who wants to start then? I'll start because I'll pick up on the... There's a tie-in from your comment about The Mist that I'm going to put into my first film. 
Oh, nice, nice. Oh, yeah. I, I decided that I would like to see remade properly, even though it's had about four, four adaptations already. I am legend. Um, yeah. And I, I thought a good director for it would be Frank Darabont. His, you know, his work on The Walking Dead and his work with The Mist, I thought, would be... Um, he's good at capturing this human emotion and, and particularly this sense of paranoia. I thought he would be great in I Am Legend because that is all about the paranoia of Robert Neville. Yeah. Who I, I was struggling to think, who could I have play Robert Neville, oh, seeing as Vincent Price is dead? Just, just, you know? just let Will Smith do it in a good script. <laughs> yeah, you know... Because he was thinking, actually... He, he, was a, he was a good performance in a terrible film. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I absolutely agree. He was he was very good considering he's just him on screen for about ninety percent of the film. Mm, and it, and it's really a bad fun. film. <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> well, I, him and the dog. I was, sorry, I was just trying to think who who I could have play Robert Neville other than someone who's done it before. You know, it, yeah, not Will Smith. Vincent Price, like I say, is dead, so probably not great. For it's, the a, it's a notable handicap. It is, yeah, unfortunately. Um, um, but he, back from the But he was good in The Last Man on Earth, which I think is the best adaptation of Fire Legend so far, but still not perfect. But I thought um, maybe a bit of a strange choice, but Patrick Wilson would be quite good as Robert Neville. Mm-hmm. Yeah? He, he was Night Owl in Watchmen, and uh, he was uh, Josh in Insidious, been in quite a few other films as well. But has I quite thought, a large you know, forehead, doesn't he? He has quite a large forehead, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I always imagine to myself Robert Neville being this quite sort of um, big, big, sort of most sort of rugged character. I think perhaps Patrick Wilson, because in, 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 <laughs> in the book, in the in the book of I Am Legend, he's not in, obviously in the latest film with Will Smith. He's Robert Neville's a scientist who's partly yeah. responsible for this disease that's spread. But in the book, he just sort of seems to be kind of just a normal. Guy. Yeah, uh, he is quite a normal guy, but I just sort of physically meant that I can imagine him being this rather big character to sort of cope with what doesn't really cope to the turns to drink and stuff. But you know, I thought perhaps Patrick Wilson might be able to pull that off better than better than Will Smith, maybe mm. in that style of being Robert Neville rather than but, the super action hero mm. Robert Neville that Will Smith. Was. If, if you don't go with Will Smith, there's no chance, and you go with Patrick Wilson, there's no chance of you getting a rap done for the film. Uh, that's I it. Mean, that's a negative. Yeah. <laughs> Scrap this. I'll just screw this bit of paper and yeah. throw it out. Yeah, this is how films are made yeah. in Hollywood. Mm. You do realise that. <laughs> there's some idiot like me coming <laughs> saying things like this constantly, and that's why there's so many terrible films being made. That's how Jack and Jill got made. Mm. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> but you know, I was thinking of those bigger names to play. Maybe Christian Bale might have been quite good, or even Vito Mortensen, who played a similarish character in The Road. Yeah. Um, but you know, I thought Patrick Wilson would be perhaps a bit. Bit of a different choice. And, uh, I quite like him. I like it, Owen. You've yeah. actually you've grasped the nettle of my challenge there because that's exactly what I had in mind. Was films that when they you got excited about, and then when they came out, you went, "Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's exactly how I've looked at my films." There was there was a lot of aborted attempts to make it, though, weren't there? More than Charlton had to do it. Amiga Man or whatever. Isn't the Amiga Man very similar? Yeah, yeah. Years ago, and then. I mean, yeah, there, there have been then quite a few Ridley attempts. Scott was my direct honey, if I remember rightly. Um, I'm not sure, actually. But um, Last Man on Earth, it is a good film. It's just not Iron Legend. It takes the same premise and the same um, ideas, but it 
delivers it in a different way to the film, uh, to the book. But I just thought it'd be quite an interesting one to be remade, especially as it's already been remade quite a few times. I like it. Good. Uh, my next choice. <laughs> Sorry, what was that, Jerry? What, what zombie film? Are you? Uh, no, I'm not doing a zombie film. Although I am. Getting on perfect. They're all perfect. Yeah, Zack Snyder. I've got to direct my next one, who did direct the Dawn of the Dead remake. So there is a tenuous zombie link there, I guess. But I thought mainly because what film um, would I like to see remade that hasn't that wasn't very good. So I've gone for Spawn. I thought Spawn was a terrible comic book film from the 90s. Um, and it deserves a good remake. It is a good story. It's a good anti-hero to, to create a story from. And, you know, to, also because I thought it tied quite, tied in quite nicely with the fact we're doing Amazing Spider-Man later. So I thought we'd get a comic book film in. But Zack Snyder, I thought, could do it. He could do action quite well. Um, you know, as Dawn of the Dead was very, quite dark, I think, as, as well as being quite full of action and, and tension. So I thought he did quite well. He did Watchmen, which not a lot of people like, but, you know... I like Watchmen. Action, I, I, I like, I'm a Watchmen. fan of Watchmen, yeah. And 300 is the other one he, he's which done. Which I like. love. I love yeah. 300, yeah. <laughs> but I've not seen Sucker Punch, which was awful. I've heard terrible things. I've not heard anyone yeah. say anything good about it. But the other three are good. <laughs> so I thought he could get on get back on track and do a Spawn remake. He's doing the Superman film, isn't he, with Christopher Nolan as his kind of film godfather overseeing the whole thing, which I'm very intrigued to see how that turns out. Yeah, and me, yeah. I quite like the original ones, as I've discussed before. Yes, and Superman Returns was... (laughs) So that that was actually nearly one of my choices, but it's already being done, so I left it off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a few of them I was thinking about were already being remade, Um, I can't remember what they are at the minute. So uh, then I was also trying to think, who would I have playing as Al, Al Simmons, you know, Spawn? And I thought, well, do you know who I quite like in action films but hasn't made any good action films for a while? The Rock. <gasps> Dwayne <laughs> Johnson. Yeah, Dwayne Johnson. You know, he's, got, he's quite big and, you know, he's got the, the frame and physique to, to, to pull off someone like Spawn. Why not? Why not? The Rock. And you could also get someone like Sam Rockwell and uh, John Goodman in to play Sam and Twitch, the two cops in, in the story. And But the, the big problem is The Violator, who you've got to have someone who's very charismatic to play someone like The Violator, who you haven't seen mm. in the film or... I've not, I've not seen it, no. He's this... Um, well, you can tell from the name, The Violator. He's this... Is <laughs> <laughs> it Dan O'Bannon? <laughs> man who's a <servant> of <laughs> So that that one's my sticking point. I'm not sure who you could get to do that. But the rest of it, I think I've got it. It's just The Rockers, Al Simmons, Zack Snyder to direct. It can't go wrong. There we go. Here's $100 million. <laughs> yeah. I'll have the money uh, in cash. Uh, anyway, <laughs> the third film I've gone for is one I think we can all agree needs to be remade just to wipe out the Michael Bay ones in history. Transformers. <laughs> Popular yeah. choice on Twitter, actually. Was it? I'm not surprised. Joss Whedon, get him into director. He's proved he's quite good with these sci-fi action blockbusters. You know, maybe keep keep Peter Cullen as Optimus Prime. I haven't got a problem with his voice acting. Um, but set it all in space. You know, we don't get enough sci-fi films that are all in space and have no humans in it at all. You can just have it like the 80s animated. Oh, you know, you're talking my language. Yeah. 
I've gone for two action films. I'm, I was pretty sure they'd be quite popular, <laughs> especially Transformers. Um, you know, Joss Whedon, give him a chance to do this. I think he probably wouldn't want to do it, but make him. <laughs> so <laughs> take, just, his, take his family hostage. <laughs> make him make it. We'll just carry on in reverse order then from what we did part one in. So that brings it on to me and my nominations. First one, apparently... Although George Lucas seems to change his mind on it. Start. <laughs> I did not know George Lucas would escape our lips. Star Wars was meant to be a series of nine films. And he's done six. And he's messed up the, the prequel trilogy. But there's still a chance that there could be another trilogy that could be good if he just left the reins alone. And there's plenty of material out there where if they wanted to use something from what Star Wars fans would call the expanded universe and all the books and comics that have been released since the films. There's plenty of good ones, so I'm told, that have got good plots and stories. If I was him, I'd phone up J.J. Abrams and get him to take the reins and just say, do what you want with it, because he's done, he's done quite well with kind of sci-fi kind of things. He, I thought the reboot of Star Trek was excellent. Star Trek reboot was good, yeah. Yeah, uh, mm. Su- Super 8, Cloverfield, Lost... Uh, See, I didn't fringe. like Super 8 at all, so I would be very wary of him doing Star Wars. I thought Super 8 was, was, was very good and um, very enjoyable. I must yeah. say, I'm, I, I seem to be in a minority of one in not liking Super 8, but I just really didn't get on with it. I've still not seen it. I'm no, I mean, terrible, aren't I? <laughs> it just looked like Goonies with an alien, so I didn't, didn't bother with it. <laughs> it's like someone shat on the Goonies uh, and uh, an alien. Uh, Owen, <laughs> Owen, do you not like the Goonies? Uh, it's alright, it's good, good kids. You just said, you just said, it's alright, oh, you're, oh. <laughs> you, you do know you're dead to Steve now. Yeah. Uh, no, don't like Star Wars, don't like the Goonies, just, but anyway, yes, that's what I do, I just let J.J. Abrams do, do a trilogy and say, just, just round it off, do what you want with it. I'll bring back the old cast. I mean, if Harrison Ford can do an Indiana Jones, he can do a Star Wars. He's gonna give Mark Hamill work. Amazing. <laughs> he needs it. <laughs> He's, he's been doing the Joker for too long. I reckon he's going to do a Heath Ledger and just go mad. Yeah. <laughs> what, he's been just... He's too much Joker for all yeah. the animated Batman stuff. He's, he's going to go mad. He's going to become the Joker. He's going to become Luke Skywalker. What, what's, what's the direction? Because I thought Jedi ended in quite a nice... You know, the Empire had been defeated. Spoiler alert. Sorry about that. Um, Darth Vader's dead. The Emperor's been defeated. Where, not where a spoiler you alert. It it's, it's, you are a mongoler. Yeah. <laughs> Where are you taking it? It's a big galaxy. In there's going to be lots of bad guys. Okay, all right. Just, it... There's a there's a big load of books and comics that have been written since the you know. <laughs> the, sound well researched. Yeah, just, just go for some of them. We'll come up with something original, but just you know, don't make the last Star Wars film ever released be the absolute shite that it was. So your idea is three more Star Wars films with J.J. Abrams at the helm and yep. the entire old cast back in. But with some other people as well, just sort of freshen it up a bit. And oh, really? Yeah. This could bomb horribly. It won't. It could be amazing. <laughs> it's my <laughs> idea, it won't. The Clone Wars. Have you seen the cartoon Clone Wars? Yeah. Oh, they steer, steer away from that story. Mm. That yeah. is as boring as a cartoon can be. Next film, Shaun of the Dead. Remember the bit where they met... I can't remember the name of the character, but Jessica Stevenson's mm-hmm. little mm-hmm. band of... The bizarro Shaun of the Dead characters, yes. Just the same same direction, so Edgar Wright, etc. Mm-hmm. But just do a film of what happened to them, because 
I'm sure they could make a film just as funny, especially with the the cast that are in that little crew, like Martin mm. Freeman and Matt Lucas and the guy from League of Gentlemen, who I can't quite remember now. That's the one. Um, but yeah, I just thought they had a somewhat better time of it, so it's going to be a different story. But I thought it could just be a, a just as funny sequel. Especially- That's a nice little idea, Steve. Mm. I like that. I, I, I did often wonder what happened. Mm. And you're right, they, they're they're dealing with it brilliantly, aren't they? Yeah. That, I mean, that's a whole different see, Well, film. you see, you see at the end, Jessica Stevenson turn up with the military. Mm. And so you assume that at least part of their team has had a much better time of it than, than Sean <laughs> and his girlfriend. Yes. <laughs> and the rest of it's them. It's interesting, all... isn't it? Steve's gone for a zombie film. It's not <laughs> me. No. Yeah, he also went for Star as well, though. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, next week we, I'm going to have. Uh, can, what, what do you like? That's a creature feature. I can pick your name. <laughs> every every Star Wars alien. Yeah, a mighty duck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a huge duck. A big CGI ice hockey playing duck. <laughs> no, I like that though, Steve. That's got, that, that's a really nice idea, actually. Yeah. No. One, well done, Steve. Sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to be so patronizing. Well done. Yeah. Well done, you little idiot. <laughs> Uh, the final film, I couldn't really think of many, because there's just not many films that I think, I think films would just generally be left alone, whether they're good or bad, just come up with something new, just have a new idea. Um, but one I did think of, I thought, Escape to Victory has got to be about ripe for a remake, given how popular football seems to be in America now. So I think, that, so it doesn't lose, I don't know who's going to direct it, but you know, Stallone's still doing Rockies and Rambos, you can put him in goal. Michael Caine can be the manager and then you just fill the team with people like Beckham and Ronaldinho and let them, the football would look a lot better, I think. Any Jones? No. <laughs> you do yeah. know that like my team, Batman Rovers, are trying to recreate Escape to Victory by buying all these like players like Beckham and Ronaldinho, you know. We've just got Nuno Gomez. Get him in, in this remake. Mm. We'll be sound. So, yeah, but I mean, you know, you're not playing in Nazi occupied World War II Europe. <laughs> Time, Steve. Give it time. What, what, what are you escaping <laughs> from? Just the the direness of your situation in the north. Well, <laughs> sorry. The, <laughs> the direness of, of being owned by such fucking clowns. I mean, you know, when the French Resistance tunnel into the the changing room and escape to victory, is that going to be someone like Aston Villa for you tunneling in to save Blackburn? <laughs> yeah, it will literally be anyone. Well, Aston Villa now it'll be like Huddersfield. Come on, get get with the. The right level. We're not going to be playing at someone like Aston Villa for a while. But yeah, I don't. I, yeah. I don't know if you guys would have any idea who, who might be able to direct that. But I mean, I've got a feeling it's going to be remade anyway for some reason, and just don't let Vinnie Jones be involved. Yeah. Someone American who doesn't like football has got to direct it, haven't they? Someone yeah. like Clint Eastwood, you know. Yeah, make it really dark. Someone who's done a lot of Jason Statham films. <laughs> Excellent, Steve. Yes. Thank you. Well, good choices, well, Steve. They weren't, but well, well, let's be honest, like, they were I terrible. I really like that. No, I really like that little section. It was good. See, that's why I wanted to get the creativity going. I liked it. I'm quite happy. I'm also a bit drunk. Sorry. <laughs> 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 Who's next? Right, is, is it my go now, It's Steve? Jerry's next. Yeah. yeah Jerry's Are you next. sure? Yeah, go on. Are you sure? We're building up to me. <laughs> yeah. We're building up to me. That's why. <laughs> I know at least one of these is going to annoy you, James, so uh, okay. I'll leave that to last. Oh. Maybe, maybe the other ones will annoy you as well. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I, 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 I aim 
Welcome to Please. So, uh, first off, interestingly enough, it was on tonight as well, Ghostbusters. I would love to see someone do a good remake of Ghostbusters and sort of wipe out the memory of Ghostbusters 3, which was a bit rubbish. Um, to someone like... There's not been a Ghostbusters 3, has there? Hang on, have I missed something? Hold on, what did I say? Three. You yes. said three. Yes, I, I, I meant two. I meant two. <gasps> okay, yeah. It's late. Um, so, are you talking yeah. sequel or remake? Because this, this will really affect our mood. Mm, probably a remake, because I think <gasps> it's really... Hold on, hold on, hold on. A remake, but that isn't the same rehashing the same story, if you know what I mean. Okay, oh, kind of origins. So, maybe. like... Yeah, or maybe not even necessarily the same Ghostbusters in the same city. You could make Ghostbusters okay, in another place. Okay. Do you know what I mean? I'm to some extent, because I don't... I don't think you could get, like, Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray to really come back and do those roles again. No, They're a bit past that Murray's stage now. Bit, I think you could get Dan Aykroyd just by giving him 50 quid, to be fair. You can't, <laughs> you can't get on films for luck money these yeah. days. Yeah. Um, but Bill Murray's... I, I know he's been really, really picky about the the Ghost... Because there is a Ghostbusters 3 script floating about somewhere. And he's been... I think it was written by the super bad guys. Um, and he basically just came out in public and said it was shit. But he's not doing it. And so they've had to go back to the drawing board again because he, he basically it all depends on whether Bill Murray wants to do it because he's the only one of those actors that is, that is still successful. So uh, maybe the way you're doing it, Jerry, just doing away with that completely frees it up a little bit. Yeah. Tell me more. Yeah. Who have you got in mind? I mean, well, obviously Dan Aykroyd, I think Dan Aykroyd was trying to write Ghostbusters 3, wasn't it? that mm. he wanted to do it himself. He's so we'll stick him on to sort of yeah. be involved and oversee it. Yeah. But cast-wise, I don't know. I mean, I'd go for someone. I'd definitely have uh, Ed Helms in to replace mm-hmm. Aykroyd because I think mm-hmm. he's, he's the only person who could really do that. Good, um, job. Yeah. You'd need a sort of updated version of the weirdo Spengler. So I'd go for someone like maybe, well, if, if the Superbad guys are involved, you could get someone like McLovin in Christopher Mintz-Plass mm-hmm. or... Uh, maybe Michael Cera, but I don't think he's really right for that role. And even for someone like Bill Murray, Ed Norton might actually be able to do the funny stuff if he turns up and actually wants to do it. So, I don't know. That's, that's quite a left-field choice. I like that, though, yeah. Yeah. Well, he recently, he's, he's sort of branching out a bit, isn't he, recently? He's done, um, uh, what's that film called that's just come out? Is it Moonrise Kingdom? <laughs> yeah, the Wes Anderson done. film, yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's sort of taking more unusual roles. Like doing a Wes Anderson film is something that you wouldn't really you wouldn't expect, expect him to do. No, yeah. Um, to replace Sigourney Weaver, I spent so long trying to think who could possibly replace Sigourney Weaver in this. <laughs> um, can't really think of anyone who could bring that kind of power and that mm. kind of presence. Because I mean, Sigourney Weaver is, is sort of one of the all-time she's great incredible. actresses yeah. in, in my mind. Screen presence-wise, there really isn't anyone who could replace it. So you'd want to go for someone who isn't just there as fucking eye candy. The only yeah. one I could think of was someone like fucking Emily Blunt or something like that who was reasonably refined and would, would have a bit of a refined presence rather than just being a bit ditzy and a bit nice to look at. But I'm not happy with that choice very much. So uh, if anybody has any suggestions on Sigourney Weaver replacements. Maybe don't replace her. Just bring her into the new film. She could be the link between the old ones and this one. She could be. That's, yeah. that's a this much more elegant solution. This is Hollywood. <laughs> we need a young fitty in it, I'm afraid. That's just the way it goes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could probably get someone like Zoe Deschanel to do a turn in it if she wasn't being fucking quirky, like she is in yeah. every film. 
But if she, I mean, in Hitchhiker's Guide, she played that quite well. Do you know what I mean? It fitted, but I don't know whether it would fit in a Ghostbusters film. So anyway, female lead needs work. But I'd get someone like maybe Matthew Vaughn, who did Kick-Ass, because he can do that sort of comedy yeah, action. Yeah, Matthew Vaughn, mm-hmm. nice, nice that kind of Or just go completely out and just go for the Coen Brothers, just because they would be able to do the sort of humour, but keep the, the darkness and the, the sort of edginess to it as well. Just and just because I would like to see them make another film because I like them. Yeah, that's a purely selfish choice. So yeah, although they did yeah. a terrible job with the Lady Killers, so yeah, well, not terrible, just just not just pointless. I think actually was more the case there. But anyway, yeah, I mean, I, I must admit, I am a bit with Stephen. I, I tend to just want films to be left alone. So it was pretty mm. difficult to come up with things. But that was that was one of the ones where I was trying to think what what would modernity bring, and you would get better special effects. Yeah. And that kind of thing. As long as it didn't go Michael Bayish, it wouldn't yeah. be too bad. One that doesn't require special effects, on the other hand, I've talked about this one previously. Love to see this one updated, which is The Spy Who Came In From The Cold, uh, which was originally done in the 60s. And obviously it's the same universe as Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which was massive, absolutely huge commercial success. So basically, just get the entire Tinker Tailor team in, remake it, Alfredson directing, Old Man doing Smiley, all that kind of stuff. Get them all in. Get another atmospheric sort of piece. It's a similar kind of subject material. I love John Le Carre's spy thrillers. If they, they, I thought they handled that perfectly. Like that was exactly how I would like a Cold War John Le Carre story to be done. So get all of them back. Just just bring every single one of them back. They they, they did a good enough job. Two main roles. Uh, obviously, it's it's a bit difficult to cast them. Uh, Oldman would have a minor part in this for those unfamiliar with the story. Mm-hmm. I would like to see someone like Vigo Mortensen, you know, provided he could do a good English accent, because obviously, uh, and I'm not having any of this nonsense where they, they don't sound British. Um, <laughs> if not, only British alternative I could think of would be Peter Mullen, because when the, basically the, the protagonist, as I've talked about before, has a period where he spirals down, downwards in order to deceive the enemy, obviously, mm-hmm. and, you know, becomes an alcoholic and, really sort of loses his way and that's how he gets recruited and I think Mullen would be quite good at that bit but um, if you needed a big name to carry you could maybe get someone like Ray Fiennes in who I think could do that quite well um, you need a, like, a lovely bit of crumpet as well the, the lady character Gemma Arterton I'd like to look at her for a couple of hours that I'd do um, and obviously you get Christoph Waltz in to play one of the German officers because he's brilliant at being nasty Germans yeah. so yeah that's, that's that's that one would be no, fairly I, simple to I think I'd definitely go and watch that definitely because I mean Tinker Taylor was just perfect it was oh, a, I love a, Tinker a great Taylor, yeah. Yeah. yeah I would love to see more of that I, I would I mean I know it went on for a long time but I would just love to see hours and hours and hours yeah. of that kind yeah. of film yeah, I, I, I could quite happily have a film almost like the Bond franchise or something like that from that team I could happily see the John Le Carre universe every couple of years, a new film from that team. That would be amazing. I'd be very happy with that. Yeah, right. And now I'm, I'm going to go to the one that's going to piss you off, I think. Okay. Oh, okay. God. If, if Ghostbusters didn't already piss you off. Uh, bit of a controversial one, because, frankly, it's a Stone Cold classic. But I was struggling. Metropolis. If Metropolis mm. could be remade. Oh, shall I take a breath? Ooh. Okay, what are you going to do with it? I need to know. Well, obviously, it would need a top-class director in charge, <laughs> because 
it would need someone absolutely top class because you need to keep the sort of thematic element and make it sort of hard hit like the original was, which would be difficult in Hollywood, which is one of the main barriers to it being remade. Maybe you couldn't quite have the same impact that the original did in this current studio environment. Two top class directors, the only ones I could think of. One of them would be Christopher Nolan, Mm. who I think could probably handle the thematic element and still keep it interesting. And obviously one of the big things about Metropolis was how visually impressive it was. So Nolan would be able to handle that side of it, I think, pretty well. If you get his sort of regular collaborators and the production team from something like Inception, and he, he, he knows how to do that kind of thing and make that whole futuristic world. And But I think he would still be able to handle the duality of the culture and all the sort of social criticism that came in with the original. Only other one, you'll like this because you like Blade Runner. I've got, I'd get Ridley Scott to try and have a go. Just because he the made man Blade does impressive visuals, yeah. To be fair, mm. the man does very impressive visuals, yeah. And I, I think Blade Runner owed so much to Metropolis as well in mm. terms of the yeah, yeah, clear look. On. Yeah, he's obviously a big fan, so maybe he could do something like that. Um, main roles. See, for this, I wouldn't like anybody recognisable. I'm not going to lie, or at mm. least not someone in a, a big, you know, like they like they're remaking The Great Gatsby with Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. In the what the f- uh, well, that's, <laughs> that's a, in 3D, the great Gatsby, in 3D. <laughs> so fucking, the, the, the shirt throwing scene in just gratuitously to try and yeah. use the once. Anyway, that will take me another 20 minutes running about how bad that looks. So, uh, I think we might do that as a main review. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> oh no, I don't want to give them money. I don't want to make them think that I want to watch that film. Um, for Freda. I'd have someone a bit outside the Hollywood mainstream. Still, a, you know, an established actor. I would go for someone like, not necessarily him, but like Kit Harrington. And I can hear you all going, who the fuck is Kit Harrington? Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what I said, actually. Um, <laughs> he is Jon Snow from Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, 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 no, yeah, like him. So, while yeah, I know that he's quite good at that role, he would be sort of not just, you know, a face who you're thinking... Oh, that's so and so. Although actually, you'd probably be going, "Oh, it's John Snow." Look. Um, that said, I'd have someone fairly iconic role of Maria. I'd have someone quite, quite big name for that. And the, obviously, if you were going to make it in Hollywood, they would want fucking big names. Um, I would have Marion Cotillard playing Maria because she would be brilliant, or Audrey Tattoo, who would also be yeah, pretty damn two good great at that. choices. You're, you're um, easing my fears now, Jerry. You're easing yeah, my fears. I mean, this is something I'd be relatively excited about. Yeah, I mean, Bridget Helm, obviously, big shoes to fill. But I think both of those would do a reasonably good job of taking and on obviously that. obviously, Coltard worked under Nolan for Inception, so if we go with Nolan, yeah, yeah, no, I can see yeah, this coming yeah. together. You've not annoyed um, me so much. <laughs> and for Frederson, someone like Stellan Skarsgård, who's... Um, He's in the remake of Girl with Dragon Tattoo. He's in the Avengers. He's in Thor. He's the he's the the scientist who's Thor's mate in the Avengers. Mm-hmm. If you remember that, um, he'd be quite good at that kind of role. Mad scientist Christoph Waltz. Uh, I don't know if you realise, but I love Christoph Waltz. So uh, <laughs> get him in as the mad scientist. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, yeah, I like it. But I think it's one of those films that I, I'd, I'd hesitate to interfere with it, to be honest. And I, as I say, I was going through this triple bill, and I just think they, just, they don't need to be remade. None of these films. I was thinking. Mm, which of my favourite films would I like to be remade? And I thought, well, none of them. They're all good. Why, yeah. why the hell would I mess with them? So this, no, it's no, kind that's of why I've gone for three films I don't like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the bad ones that have got a good idea behind it. That you yeah, that's really what like I've gone for. Justice, I 
But I think that Metropolis idea is really good because I think you could do something with that story which they couldn't do back then. Like you say, leave it alone for all means, but if that is at least something you could say, do you know what? We've got, we're able to tell that story in a different way now, which we couldn't back then. I I love the original. I don't want to see the original touched. But at the same time, in the right hands, that would be another fantastic film and another fantastic story if it was dealt with properly. So, yeah, Yeah. I, I can see that. I mean, it's just purely from, I was thinking, what films would benefit most from having new technology in them? Mm. And visually, you know, it's so reliant on on sort of groundbreaking technology for that time. And if you use today's technology, it would be even more sort of mind-blowing. So that's the, the motivation. But uh, I think even if even if it was made in exactly the way that I've just described, I would still be like, oh, they're going to ruin this. They're going to ruin yeah. this. <laughs> so... And uh, it's a reluctant third choice, but at least I didn't make you go horribly, horribly. Yeah, I, I, I think that's you, you came up. You, you came good with the what you do with it, so that I'm glad. Yeah. <laughs> Shall I go then, Steve? Oh, you are the only one that's left. <clears throat> okay. Well, you yeah, sure, I, Steve? Are you sure? <laughs> this no. is James you're talking to, Steve. James, yeah. yeah? Okay, I want. Yeah. I want to have another go. <laughs> <laughs> I I came to this looking at I. I well, firstly, I've got a theory that you could remake any film and have Eddie Murphy play all of the roles and it would be an improvement on that film. That's one theory I've got, but I, I left that aside. Um, I also did one other that I really wanted to include, but I honestly couldn't think how to improve it. They messed it up despite having so many great things in place, was the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy film. I got so excited about that and it was a mess, but I can't think... Apart from the director, maybe giving it to Edgar Wright or something. But the cast was brilliant. The music was... Uh, but anyway, uh, that, that's for another podcast. I thought even. that was reasonably well done, though. I didn't think it yeah, was but an it, abomination. It, no, no, it wasn't an abomination. But I came out thinking that should have been so much better because the book is one of my favourites. And the original TVs... I watched that thinking, OK, the original TV series had no budget, basically. So... This, uh, you know, they had the best voice of the book they could have, Stephen Fry. But anyway, I don't want to dwell on films I didn't choose in the end. Okay, so the first one I'm going for in this whole, do you know what? I was excited when it came out and it turned out to be crap, is Street Fighter. Okay. <laughs> the original oh. Street... Okay, so the computer game is brilliant. Okay. Um, fantastic character. You've got a load of fully real... Well, I say fully realised characters, but, you know, they are great action characters. And then there's this terribly camp adaptation with Kylie Minogue in it, and um, uh, it's, just, oh, it's just so poor. And there's this whole kind of invasion thing going on. So my idea... Okay, we watched The Raid a few weeks ago. And the raid felt like a computer game. So, right, let's get Gareth Evans from the raid, director of the raid, and let's get Eco Uwes and Mad Dog from the raid. And you know what? I'm I'm going um I'm going future sequel. Basically, in the future, the Street Fighter series is a load of um. It would just take it back to the fighting, not any of the stupid subplots. It is about a street fighting competition which takes place on the internet in international waters so people can die and no one can take. Um, and all the old characters and how played by, and how mentors, so like Ken and Ryu, are mentoring younger street fighters coming through. And just get people like Tony Jar, Jackie Chan, um, Eco Aways, uh, 
Jean-Claude Van Damme, the guy who played Hitman, Chuck Norris, and have them as the characters, but they are mentoring these young, hungry street fighters. Um, you do know they, they recently made, remade some Street Fighter thing. What? They made, what they like, do? what was it called? Street Fighter Chun-Li something. It was something to do with Chun-Li. I'm telling you, search, search on IMDb. Okay, and I'll come up. that. And it had, yeah, it had, yeah, the guy out of Band of Brothers who was the sort of, uh, the, oh, what was his name? Uh, thingy Buck Compton out of Band of Brothers was Bison. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So, I, I don't think it did have the budget on asking for. Um, the animated Street Fighter films aren't too bad, though. No. I mean, they're, oh, they're yeah, exactly. Street Fighter Alpha was a little bit naff, but the one, the original one was quite good. Street Fighter 2, the movie, or whatever they called it. That was alright. But I want live action. I want gritty. I want, do you know what? Do you know what? Actually, when I watched Warrior, which I hated, um, but, I thought Kurt Angle played a good Russian, so he could be Zangrief. Um, I'm, I'm gonna have Tom Hardy in it, cause I love him. And yeah, Tom Hardy can be an up and coming, uh, fighter. Uh, I'll find a way to shoehorn Michael Fassbender into it as well. Um, and then sell it on international markets. Dr. Dahlism could be just any old Bollywood actor. Brilliant. That's your, that's your Bollywood audience you've got in. Some South American star as Blanco. I'm thinking like a producer here. But yeah, that's what I'm going for here. Um, so yeah, Street Fighter, the, it, it, and, you know, a bit of meta, we could call it Street Fighter 2, despite, you know, so it is actually a sequel to the original, but it's based on the game Street Fighter 2. You see, ah, uh, see what I've done there? <laughs> <laughs> so that's yeah, particularly like Kurt Angle as Zangief, that sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I'm, I'm so excited about this film. <laughs> so, yeah, Hollywood, send the check when you make that. Brilliant. Okay, second one. I got really excited by this film when it came out, and then I went to see it in the cinema, and it was terrible. I was really disappointed. And with the um, with Game of Thrones having been about recently, I think the time is ripe for a proper King Arthur film. Okay? It is a British myth. Um but what I hated about the uh, the King Arthur film, starring Clive Owen, directed by Antoine F- uh, Fuqua, who did Training Day, um, it tried to be too real and gritty. And it, do you know what? No, we want fantastic battle scenes. We want it's it's King Bloody Arthur. Okay, so um, timeless story. I think we need to get back to the magic and the mysticism of the original stories and things like that. So to direct it. I'm going to have Guillermo del Toro directing it because he should have done The Hobbit, but he's going to come and do this instead. Um, it's going to be a magic, fantastical King Arthur. King Arthur, um, we're going full on Lady of the Lake. Um, everything, you know, full on fantasy, magical stuff. King Arthur, played by Michael Fassbender. Um, he's, he's been king of the realm for years. Um, you, but he's, he's a good and kind and honest king, but he's being, um, he's I'm not got, being funny, but Lancelot has to usurp him, and, and yeah, it's going to be quite hard if it's Fassbender. Lancelot played by Tom Hardy. So Lancelot's Tom Hardy. Um, Merlin played by Patrick Stewart. Um, yes. And then fill in a load of British talent like Michael Gambon, uh, Paddy Constantine, Mark Strong, uh, Sean Bean, get them all in there. Um, and then the Viking, because what's happening is um, all of a sudden, all of his borders are under attack. 
so from you've got the Celts with um, Robert Carlyle leading some Celtic army, uh, and they probably discovered dragons or something. Let's get dragons in. Um, the Vikings are coming. I don't know if it's historically accurate, but the Vikings are coming. They're led by Matt Mickelson and Stellan Skens, uh, Skarsgård. So Matt Mickelson from Casino Royale and Flame and Citron. And it's just all kicking off. Plus, at the same time, you've got Guinevere. And thinking back to then, Guinevere would be quite young because that's just the way women were back then. So I've got um, Shearsha Ronan, who was in Hannah and was also in Atonement and The Lovely Bones. She plays Guinevere and she is, she's got that whole love tri- triangle thing going on with Tom Hardy and Michael Fassbender. So, yeah, that's what I I don't think you'd get that made because it would seem a bit paedophilic. <laughs> she, well, she's 18, it's fine. She I can know, play a bit older. Compared to those two. <laughs> I know, but that that's the way it was. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm oh, saying. Oh, I'm not disputing that. I'm yeah. just saying. <laughs> if, I was going to, if I was well, I definitely wouldn't have Keira Knightley because I didn't think she was great in the original King Arthur. Um, chip in with so I need someone kind of British to. Did you in. watch Camelot? Because that was quite well done. I didn't actually know. But it's it's Carrie right. Mulligan. Carrie, oh, yeah, I like Carrie. Yeah, Carrie Mulligan then. Bad luck. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, the, the girl who played Guinevere in the uh, Camelot one was pretty tasty. Don't go with her. But I'm I'm very happy with Keir, uh, Carrie Mulligan as well. I so. don't think you're giving Sean Bean a more a prominent enough role. Uh, Sean Bean can be uh, Arthur's dad. There we go. Sorted. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Galahad. Um, oh, yeah, Ryan Gosling as Galahad, if he can do an English accent. There we go. Um, that is key, though. He must be able to do anything. You, you could have Sean Bean as Gawain. Yeah. Gawain. Yeah. See, it's all coming together. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, like yeah. There'll be a, a specific audience for this film, though, James. So with, um, with all this British talent you're bringing, have you not yeah. got a place for either Jason Statham or Vinnie Jones? Um, <laughs> Vinnie Jones, yes. Vinnie Jones, oh, always. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Vinnie Jones, someone with no words, though. I'll, mm. I'll have him not talk. He's <laughs> like gone in 60 be, seconds. <laughs> yeah. He's yeah, exactly. un- uncredited knight or something yeah. like that. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Statham will be the Lady of the Lake. There we go. <laughs> in there. He can lob the scimitar. Boom. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's King Arthur. Brilliant job done. 500 million box office sorted. Um, finally, now this is one that I'm sure you used to, all of you three used to think about, maybe not Steve because he's such a young little lad, um, but you used to think about who would you cast in the 18 film for years before the 18 turned up and then they finally made the 18 film and I was really underwhelmed okay Liam Neeson's half decent um oh, yeah Bradley Cooper yeah, but yeah, I was massively underwhelmed for years I was thinking do you know what would be perfect George Clooney Brad Pitt uh Jim Carrey Ving Rhames that would yeah that would have been my thing but now I'm thinking okay the I did not like the 18 film that came out so I'm going origin story. I want to show the Vietnam beginnings. I want, and I want to ending with, I want them young and I want to ending with them surviving as soldiers of fortune, basically. So to direct, I am going for Nicholas Winding Refn, who did Drive, uh, and who also did Bronson. Okay. You might have sensed a path that I'm going down with my casting here. Um, Hannibal. Michael Fassbender. That's who I'm going for my Hannibal. He's young. He's charismatic. He's a leader of the men. Okay, so face. 
I'm going Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling's going to be my gorgeous face there. He's, got, he's also going to have a love interest with uh, Emma Stone, I've decided. How are all um, these, um, how are all these actors meant to fit in just doing all the films that you want to do? I'm going back to the old Hollywood <laughs> studio system where they were tied to a particular studio and they had to do about six films a year. I'm overhauling Hollywood while I'm doing all this as well. Um, Murdoch, Tom Hardy. Now, hear me out on this one. In Bronson, Tom Hardy played an absolute lunatic and was scary with it. I want, I want, I want Murdoch to be scary. I don't think Murdoch's meant comedy. to be scary. <laughs> Pardon? I don't think Murdoch's meant to be scary. No, no, but I'm going origin story here. He's going to be scary. And then BA, I'm struggling here. Um, cause I thought, okay, he, he needs to become, um, B.A. Barack. Uh, he need, he needs to become Mr. T. And that's very difficult. That's very big shoes to fill, but we're looking young. So, you know, I kind of discounted obvious choices like Jamie Foxx and Cuba Gooden Jr. Um, I've discounted The Rock because I think he's a bit too old. And I've actually come up with, uh, this is my left field choice here. Donald Glover who plays Troy on the American sitcom community, who is A, funny, B, has a lot of attitude, um, and C, is actually quite built. So he could, you, you could see him becoming a kind of big bodybuilding badass, basically. So that's my kind of left field choice there. But yeah, the A-team should have been amazing, and it wasn't, so I'm going gritty, I'm going origin story. Nicholas Winding Refn, there will be a head stoved in at some point in this film. It's not <laughs> going to be a PG-13 film. It's going to be an A-team, we're going full-on violence. Um, yeah, there's, that's my three. So you should have so for, a, for the A-team, you basically want a, a Vietnam film. It's before, it is the beginnings of Vietnam, yes, that's right, yeah. Um, it's then before they went to Vietnam and how they met. And then, and then how they basically got, uh, sold out, uh, and have to survive as soldiers. And the, it would end with them taking their first job as soldiers of fortune. Yeah. Well, I'm going to change. i keep the music though. I'll keep the music. I think you have to. Like, I'm going to change Escape to Victory very quickly. Um, <laughs> We've never done this before. I'm going to, and I'm going to go Joshua Jackson, Keenan Thompson, Mighty Ducks 4, they are now coaching Team USA, uh, junior team, and with a load of kids with varying different ice hockey skills, and Emilio Estevez can, of course, make a cameo. <laughs> there we go. End of... Now, there I was about to make that joke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not joking. <laughs> I'm, I'm deadly serious. I've never been more serious. I'll direct. I mean, someone's got to keep this product on track. Someone with a real knowledge of the, the original series. <laughs> exactly, someone with a real passion for the original. Um, yeah, part part three coming up, uh, separated by a spoiler alert for The Amazing Spider-Man. This week, we all went off to the cinema to watch The Amazing Spider-Man, starring Andrew Garfield, Emma Stone, Reese Ifans, among many others. James, do you want to introduce the film for everyone? Yeah, obviously, it's the 
it's the reboot of the, the Spider-Man films, Sam Raimi's films, I think about nine years ago. Um, yeah, uh, the amazing Spider-Man, they've, they've put the amazing back in the, uh, the title and it is directed by Mark Webb, whose previous film was 500 Days of Summer and it is going back to the origins of Spider-Man. I think it's the youngest Spider-Man we've seen on film so far. Uh, and it tells the story about how Peter Parker becomes Spider-Man and the responsibility that lays in his hands. Right, I'm, I'm, as someone who hasn't seen the film, I'm going to say the main concern, okay? Is it emo Spider-Man again? Not really, no. no. I, I would call it the amazingly emo Spider-Man. <laughs> I, think I didn't think you... just my thoughts. Is it as emo as the third, last one? No, he's not... He's not... Oh, God, no, 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 no. No, he's... He's not I, emo. I was he's, surprised he's, he didn't start listening to the Smiths at one point. Though. I really was. <laughs> I think he's just what Spider-Man Peter Parker has to be, a kind of geeky character who's not that popular. Um, But he seems to be more... I don't know, he seems, he seems to be a bit more cocky, a bit more confident, a bit more witty than the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. And in that... So he doesn't seem to be as... Annoying or as much of a dick as Tony McGuire <laughs> Spider Man because I never yeah, really he's, liked him he's that much. He's much more likable, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. To be fair, it's not that difficult. He was a smug tosser in the. Who who saw it in um 3D? Because I saw it in 2D. I did saw he, it in 2D. Did anyone see it in 3D? I saw it in 3D. Okay, yeah. what was the 3D like? The 3D. Okay, well they've obviously um spent a lot of time trying to craft some specific 3D scenes. So you know the bits where he's swinging through mm. uh, New York and he's jumping yeah. off and stuff. It, it, you can see they've really thought about how they're going to do that, and they put, like I say, put a lot of effort into designing it. And it kind of does work, and it doesn't work. It looks too blurry, so you can't mm. really see everything that he's doing. Uh, I mean, and the CGI. I mean, at one point, Spider-Man was practically translucent. You could just see straight through his legs. <laughs> God, <That's> weird. <laughs> yeah, but but I, I, you you can appreciate what they're trying to do. Is it? it they ha- it's not something they've just tacked on at the end or had things being thrown at the screen like we um we discussed in the Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter mm-hmm. thing. But they've they've designed these specific 3D things, and they. Oh, great to watch, but it's not made particularly well. It's not, it's not put together fantastically well. But you do appreciate that they've, they've, they've tried to do something different with it and something exciting, I guess. It just looked a bit shit and blurry. Yeah, uh, my, I felt it was a shame. My main issue with this film was the reason why it was rebooted and you can and it comes across throughout the whole film basically sam raimi wanted too much money to do spider-man 4 um and, you know that basically it turned out sam raimi wanted too much money toby Maguire, they, they wanted too much money and sony pictures went well we've got the copyright let's just reboot and you can just imagine the moment one of the sony executives went oh hang on reboot yeah let's let's do that you know the moment they heard that a reboot existed, they went, oh, that's brilliant. Um, because let's be honest, everything, and there's a lot of good things about this film, but everything about this film does scream cheap. Okay. No offense. You know, you could argue one way or the other. They could be going, well, let's bet on up and coming talent, but all this up and coming talent would have been cheap by Hollywood standards. Mark Webb has made one film before. Um, 
So he would have been cheap, and also he wouldn't have rocked the boat. He, you get the impression he was just really pleased to get this opportunity to make this film, and he would have taken a lot of kind of studio pressure. Um, Andrew Garfield, Emma Stone, Reese fans, none of these people are going to be expensive. Even Martin Sheen and Sally Fields aren't going to be expensive. So a lot of a lot about this film does scream cheap to me. Um, the retrofitted 3D as well and stuff. That said, I think that the, um, I think the casting is brilliant. And I think that's something that anyone who's seen it will tell. I think Andrew Garfield is a great Peter Parker, but much better than Toby. Mm, well, I think, I think with that respect, there's a lot of like the, the new Batman films with, um, Christian Bell is Batman. It's mm. a different kind of Batman film to previous ones. Whereas, yeah. whereas Spider-Man, this Spider-Man seems to be not that much different from the Sam Raimi, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. I kind of, I kind of thought it was. Sam Raimi, I mean, he was famous for, he wanted to do it back at, in the, when was, when was Batman 89, something like that? Yeah. I yeah. it was after that, he really wanted to do a superhero film. I think he wanted to make the spirit. They wouldn't let him, so he ended up making Darkman, which I don't know whether you've seen, it's quite a sort mm. of culty. Yeah. Dark superhero-ish film. Um, I think with, once he got his hands on Spider-Man, I think he tried to keep that edginess to it. Do, do you know what I mean? It kind of, but I don't think he did it very well. In Spider-Man, it, it wasn't really very dark at all. No. But you know, Spider-Man, it's not really a character who's meant to be dark. No, but it doesn't I don't know whether that... it was in the right hands to begin with. It, does, right, I mean. it doesn't seem like many of the Marvel comic characters are meant to be that dark like Batman. I mean, you look at the Avengers film and they're all throwing out some one-liners and puns and everything left, right and centre. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, there are dark aspects to characters like Tony Stark is an alcoholic at one point. And and a former arms dealer, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It's right, he deals in weapons, that's right. So There is something you could do with him to make it quite dark, but you're right, in Marvel it's not generally known as that is DC more have, have more of that market, yeah. I think. and um, so they made Spider-Man in this more fun, and I think that's what it needed. Yes, definitely. I, I do like the setting of it at a high school. I think I honestly, I honestly think the first hour is a really, really good film. At times, brilliant. I think Peter Parker is a far more interesting character than Spider-Man is, uh, and yeah. uh, and while you are building up the Peter Parker character, I'm really drawn in. I'm especially drawn in with Martin Sheen as Uncle Ben is fantastic. Martin Sheen is just amazing every time he's on you, screen. You kind of want Uncle Ben not to have been killed off because exactly. of Martin Sheen, and although you, you know, know that he has to. to. Yeah, you know he has to be because it's integral to the development yeah. of Peter Parker as a person. But you kind of don't want him to because Martin Sheen's that good. I'm with you in that. Yeah, I, I, I was, I was watching it, hoping, thinking maybe they change it slightly so that he doesn't die, because it is almost when he dies, the film loses a bit of its momentum, and it loses a bit of its gravitas as well, because he is so good in every every bit he does. Um, no one else is Martin Sheen in this film, unfortunately. Um, mm. And so you do lose a bit of that momentum. Sally Fields is good in the small bit she's got, but she's not really very used. I felt the same about Emma Stone, actually. I really liked Emma Stone in this, but she doesn't have 
that much to do in the film at all. Um, but Gwen Stacy, I think she, she she's a character who can feature quite a lot in the next few films. Yes, and I really right hope now. they build her up because I thought she would, she had a really promising start. When I came out of this film, I thought I wish th- this cast had been in the Sam Raimi films and. That, that that was how I couldn't help seeing it was I thought the Spider-Man stuff in this was a bit meh, bit average. Um, it was, yeah, that's right. It's just basically an angsty team drama yeah, film with a superhero in it, isn't it? Exactly. And in spoiler alert, I've got a number of quite specific issues about areas where it just felt like it was in the hands of an inexperienced director or scriptwriter, and someone wasn't looking at the details because there was a lot that didn't kind of add up, didn't make sense, which annoyed me. Um, that said, I think the film just about succeeds and there is just about a payoff because you're invested in Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone as, as the central pair um, and I think I think Reese fans gives a good performance. It's not amazing. Um, I think he gives a decent performance, but I do think that his kind of bad guy isn't very well realised in this film, mm-hmm. uh, especially once he becomes the lizard. And it and I it just it, it just seems in a summer where the Avengers has come out and where though we've not seen it yet. But, you know, making an assumption where the Dark Knight Rises comes out. So the Avengers and Dark Knight Rises are going to dominate this summer. This has come out and it just feels like it, it, it's just out of time now. And it feels like superhero movies have moved on from this. This felt a little bit, um, anachronistic at times. It felt like it was made 10 years ago at times. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think yeah. it does. I mean, it's, um, the, the, the main problem, in that sense, is that it doesn't have a lot of action in it. And I think to try and compensate for that, they do go into this, uh, trying to work on the relationship between Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone's characters, you know, Parker and Stacey. And you're right, it does feel like it's perhaps dated because it needs, talking about Avengers, that was just an absolutely fantastic action film. It mm. was shot fantastically well, you know, everyone, and it was really, the characters are quite well developed for it's, fact that you already know who they all are if you've seen yeah. the film too but they are developed through that film this one's kind of it, it develops the peter parker character spider-man you, you said it before as well actually that he's not in it that much as spider-man mm. it it needed more of, of the spider-man in it and my, i mean i went to see it in the cinema with my wife who said she she thought it was just too boring and needed more action and i kind of think it probably did Mm. But it seems like they purposefully veered away from doing that. And I think the director stuck to his strengths, which yeah, was that's right. people and relationship. Yeah, there was a good visual style, but um, but the bits of the films that worked best for me were the um, the Peter Parker Gwen Stacy mm. relationship moments, and that seems really weird going to see a Spider Man film and saying that those bits were the best because, um, you know, in the previous guys. Those bits were the bits that bored me, and I wanted to see more of Spider-Man fighting the Green Goblin and Doctor Ock and stuff like that. Whereas in this film, they did those bits well. It was just like when it came to the Spider-Man stuff, it didn't quite fizzle for me. Also, no, it didn't have uh, the Macho Man Randy Savage in, did it? Oh, well, exactly, uh, and, uh, yeah, and every film yeah. poorer for that. <laughs> Although you know, it did still feel like a bit of a comic book film with all the hyper intelligence, hyper intelligence, and the. You know, the giant green lizard and the sci-fi yeah. technology. Oh, so yeah. it still felt 
like a comic book film. It definitely did. Um, yeah. But I think a bit of it just felt like it was retreading. It, it yeah. was, literally was retreading old ground at times. Yeah, um, right. uh, and also, <sighs> two hours 17. Although, it, it wasn't as long as I expected. It didn't feel as long as I expected to, because two hours 17 is a lot. It still did feel at least 20 minutes too long for me. I thought it actually kind of flew by quite quickly, really. I think, no, you do, it, it doesn't feel like a 90-minute film, but I thought it kind of it, it had a, a nice pace to it. It didn't really slow down too much at any point. It's just at one point, I think I looked at my watch and thought, God, there's uh, no to go. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the other criticism, actually, that it gets already, apart from it being quite a long film, People keep saying it's a bit twilighty. It's for a twilight generation. And I mm. think that's really unfair. I think it's really, really unfair to put it in the same category or something like that. Oh, it's I, not I really... Well, just because it's about teenagers. Exactly. Because they are teenagers. Um, but you can do some quite grown-up adult stories about teenagers. I, I, no, I'd agree with you there. I think that that is a harsh criticism. Mm. Um, although, interestingly, before this film, I did see the trailer for the the final Twilight film, and I was sat there watching, what the hell is this? <laughs> um, and then I did think, do you know what, we should probably do that as a main review, but, that, oh, <laughs> but no. that's for another week. That's for another discussion. Uh, can, I, can I be on that one? <laughs> <laughs> but overall, I thought this film, yeah, it, 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 was, it was pretty decent. Um, it, it's a kind of like, Take someone to go and see it on an Orange Wednesday type thing. But yeah, it, it's it's far from must see, unfortunately. But I think it could get more interesting in the same way that people, at least some people, say that the 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 Spider Sam Raimi Spider Man sequel was better than the original. I think I think they're on about a par, to be honest. But a lot of people think the Spider Man Two is far better than Spider Man. I think this has the potential to really grow and mainly because Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone are very likable and have, you know, they really carry this film. I think a lot of the the problem is that when you've you've planned the trilogy, like this is like Mm. most likely to be the first films, you've always got to spend so much time setting everything up and then, (laughs) and then the film can suffer as a result, but the next two could be quite good. Yeah, whereas if, where if they were just going to make one Spider-Man film, this one, things would have had to get moving quicker, but it's just going to be one. That, one that's film. the criticism of the original Raimi Spider-Man film. Yeah. They rushed it. They went straight into being Spider-Man too quickly. And, they and it's the same with, um, Tim Burton's Batman. And yeah. I remember Tim, like someone, not Tim Burton, but someone close to the production said, Oh, we just had to rush through that, all that stuff to get to the guy in the cape, which is what everyone's come to see. And I, I honestly don't think that is what everyone's come to see, especially nowadays with a more cine literate audience who might be going to, we're not all there to see, we know the superhero. Uh, and I do think that the alter egos can be more interesting. Yeah, I think it's just. Go on, it's all right, carry on, I've talked for ages already. I I was just going to say that. I was going to ask, do you think they've gone too far in the other direction with this one, though? Because it's, it's all well and good talking about the alter egos being interesting, but at, 
at the end of the day, you go to watch a Superman, a superhero film, sorry, because you want to see a superhero, so. I obviously personally don't think it went too far that way, because my favourite bits of the film were the Peter Parker bits, but that might be just because I felt the Spider-Man bits weren't handled very well. Um, there was some very bad editing, I felt, uh, in the second half of the film, a number of scenes seemed to end before they were meant to or something like that. It just, it didn't feel edited properly. Um, and I didn't think the action, you could tell it wasn't, it was a first time action director in charge of, I felt you could tell it was a first time action director. Uh, and there were a lot of cliche generic shots of what he thought action films should have in. They're, they're, for someone who had such a great visual style in 500 Days of Summer, which was one of the things I really liked about that film, I was surprised that the second half of this film felt so generic at times, which was a shame. But no, I, I understand the point. There, there was, there were a few interesting bits with Spider-Man, but like I say, in spoiler alert, I've got some more specific bits. I don't want to give well, too much let, away. Let's move on to, to spoiler alert now then. But before we go, James, yeah. just want to tell everyone the website and um, what film's up next week and what Triple yeah. Bill's up next week. Okay, so yeah, uh, our website, failedcritics.com. Uh, Facebook is failed. Uh, facebook.com slash failed critic and on twitter we're at failed critics next week our main review will be the steven soderbergh directed Channon tatum matthew mcconaughey starring stripper drama magic mike which i've seen and i thought was pretty good but that a you know, little spoiler alert for you there but uh, these fine gentlemen will hopefully be seeing it this week um our triple bill next week is creature features it's gonna be our favorite creatures from any films but it's not necessarily our favourite films but our favourite creatures from films as well and hopefully fingers crossed I will be reporting back from the uh, first ever Hammer Festival which is taking place at the Leicester Phoenix Square next weekend Um, it's got a world premiere of an HD restoration of the 1957 Bride of Frankenstein Uh, and there's about 10 different uh, Hammer films uh, on show throughout the weekend uh, and people like Carol Cleveland and Mark Gattis in conversation as well so I'll hopefully be reporting back from that next week Excellent, well join us if you haven't seen Spider. if you have seen Spider-Man or you don't mind it being ruined for you after <laughs> the break <laughs> The Amazing Spider-Man. James mentioned he had quite a few points to go through, so let's let him start. Yeah, I'll start. Okay, first thing, and this isn't specific to this film, it happens in TV, it happens in film, and I know it's because Microsoft's got a lot of money, but directors, please, please tell your producers to stop accepting product placement money from Bing because people using Bing to search for things just takes me out of the film. I'm sorry, you know, Peter Parker... It's a bit of a web geek and everything. Okay, he's intelligent. He uses Google. He doesn't use Bing. So that's just one little point that really knocked me off in that film. I use Bing sometimes. Oh, God. I've got it on my phone. You do, he would. 
Yeah, okay. Oh, even with that stuff. Yeah, okay, oh, fair enough. But that one thing that I watched and went, seriously, did they just do that? Okay, the sequence that led to Peter Parker getting bitten by the spider. Okay, firstly, absolutely atrocious sneaking around. The fact that he was able to sneak around a high security building like that and sneak into. Yeah, I, I didn't believe that. Also, he's just wandering around a room with a load of genetic, radioactively altered or whatever spiders just walking around, and then the webs change. That whole bit just felt really unbelievable to me. And what really annoyed me was that, oh, a spider bites him, and he gets all these special powers, and there's, maybe it's meant to be like this, it just did, it felt horrible to me. And there's Kirk Connors trying for years, and you know, and, do, and there's got to be this special um, algorithm, the, the decay rate algorithm, to make sure that people don't die. And it's like, went through all that, but Peter Parker just got bit by a spider, and guess what? He gets perfect genetic replication of a spider's skills. Now, well, they kind of, they kind of showed that it was a little bit different in that scene, because it sparked, didn't it? The spider sparked off something and fell onto him. So I think... Yeah, was, I, I thought it was just the, the webs moving around or something. I wasn't sure. Uh, what the f- I'm, I might be wrong, okay? It just didn't feel... <laughs> It didn't feel right to me. But the main issue I had was everyone's reaction to him having spider powers. Okay. So there's the basketball scene where he decides to take his, you know, decides to embarrass Flash, uh, with the basketball. And then he does this massive running slam dunk and smashes the thing and ends up doing community. So firstly, um, he, this Flash has been going around bullying people at this school for ages. No one's ever made him do community service. All this kid did was embarrass Flash, and now he's doing community service. And then he did a slam dunk, and no one's thought to think, how come he leapt 30 foot in the air? And there's another bit later on. They're sat at the side of a football field, and he catches a football, like by reaction, and throws it back. And it bend, he, his throw bends a football goal and no one goes hang on what the fuck is that okay what's happening and that annoyed me because there are ways you could play it a bit more subtly because i really liked the scenes in the subway when he wakes up and he's got spot i thought that was great that scene and when he's wandering around his own home and he's wrecking his own bathroom um you know because he's turned on the tap too much and he's just ripped the tap i thought those scenes were actually really well done uh, but the other scenes, I was watching them going, why is no one going, excuse me, what? what what's going on with this? Um, and then the final bit of that whole thing for me was the fact that, okay, the lizard has released a chemical weapon across New York, yet somehow, for some reason, all of the New York Police Department are still chasing Spider-Man. Uh, and that just seemed like a plot hole too far. They've even had some of their own men get gassed, and yet they're still going, no, no, we've got to chase Spider-Man. And that, it, 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 it led to the whole scene where he might be unmasked and stuff like that, and I could see why they why they wanted to get to that scene. But the steps they took to get to that scene just felt like a screenplay. And, and I think it's true, this screenplay was rushed to get this film out into the cinema and no one at any point went, hang on, that doesn't actually make any sense or that's not believable. And it worries me that they've already penciled in the sequel for 2014. So in less than two years' time, we're going to have a sequel to this already kind of thing. Um, but I, I ha- I've got some good things I do want to talk about, but I'm going to let someone else talk for oh, a bit. I'd, I'd, 
quite like the character uh, Gwen Stacy's dad, the chief of police. And in yeah. a way, it was a shame that he was killed off. Yeah, again, I was thinking, do you know what? This could almost be Spider-Man's Commissioner Gordon. Kind mm. of thing. I was yeah. thinking, I was thinking sequel, okay. But maybe they thought, oh, that's a bit too... I can see maybe they went, that's a bit too much like Batman, him having a contact on the police. But I really liked that redemption mm. of the, the policeman. Um, I liked that character arc. And then, I, yeah, I was with you. I was thinking, oh. And I can see why they did it, because it's going to affect... Spider-Man yeah. and Gwen Stacy's, well, Peter Parker and Gwen Stacy's um, relationship in the future. But no, I was with you. I thought that was a really well-played character. And I quite, I um, quite liked his jokes when Spider-Man, uh, Peter Parker went to the police station and was saying, there's a, you know, 12-foot <laughs> lizard running around New York. And he said, I'm the, yeah. I'm the chief, chief of police for New York, not for Tokyo. <laughs> Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah, Obviously like referencing does it, yeah. There, yeah. I really like the dinner scene reference where Peter yeah. Parker stands up to him yeah. uh, and they have that conversation about what Spider-Man is actually mm. for. And he actually, you know, and he did point out, do you know what? You know, they actually had a plan for that and yeah. that's ruined like a proper police investigation. And it made the audience think about the fact that, do you know what? Spider-Man might do things for good, but he could cock some stuff up here yeah. and that. I thought that worked well. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I was a bit sad that he died. I was, yeah, not as sad as I was when Uncle Ben died, but I was no. still, I thought, I thought that was a good character and it mm. almost felt the like actor a shame was quite they got well. rid of him. Yes. And I, I recognize, he was one of those, um, actors who I, I recognize, but I cannot for the life of me remember where I recognize him. No, he's, he's someone <laughs> I've seen in a few things before, but, yeah. um, can't quite place it. I mean, I quite, I quite like the fact that they didn't keep him around, actually. The fact they killed him off to, to advance Gwen Stacy's yeah. character. I exactly. Guess. So we, it it gives her some depth, doesn't exactly. it? Exactly. So if you don't know already, but she, she's Black Cat in the, the comic book, so she becomes a superhero herself. And part of that, I think, will be through, through what happened to her dad in this film, if, the, if that's the direction they take Gwen Stacy in the next film. I mean, they could, if they're just focusing more on the relationship stuff, I guess, in the next few films, they could just introduce Mary Jane and, and you know, have this sort of tri- triangle thing going on. I don't but, want, um, I don't want that from a superhero film. I want them to be... No, I mean, I it's, again, it's... Running around punching bad guys, not, <laughs> not trying to pick which girl he likes best. That's a bit too Twilight. But again, I thought, though, for me, those were some of the bits that worked best. The fact that he couldn't tell her who he... That, that whole scene on the rooftop where he was dying to tell her who he was and he was stuttering over his words and stuff like that. I really liked that. But it just put into contrast, for me, the unbelievability of the fact that he became such a badass superhero so quickly, if you see what I mean. You know, he didn't... He, he became, he became Spider-Man very, very quickly. The other small plot hole I forgot about was the fact, okay, I quite like the idea that the web was actually, you know, uh, it was genetic material. It wasn't organically shooting from his wrist kind of thing, you know. Um, but he didn't steal that, me- from what I could tell, he didn't steal that many pods of that web. And he's been leaving Ooh. it all over New York and stuff like that. And again, I don't know what, I think it's because I've started watching so many films and watching them with a critical eye. And it seems like I'm just, I'm just looking for plot holes now. But that made me think, he's going to run out of that web at some point. Especially now that, you know, he's got no connection to Oscorp. So, or, yeah. 
Yeah, I think that he get, gets the formula for stuff like that out of his notes his dad leaves him. Oh, I think I think they said that in the in the beginning when they were at the Oscorp for the little tour and they said that um they've been using it, you know, the spider's web to make sort of yeah. towing rope. A little capsule can carry like thousands of metres of the stuff. Yeah. But in, in in the Sam Ramy Spider Man films, and because I don't read comics books, I thought that that was just sort of a trait that he got from being bit by the spider. They just sort of fired out a thing in his wrist. I didn't no, I didn't really realise that was I didn't realise that was always never actually part of being bit by a spider. He had to do that extra. Oh, I, no, I'm with you then as well, Steve. I, I always thought... In fact, in the Sam Raimi ones, I thought that actually came out of his wrist, did it not? But in, in the Sam Raimi films, they never explained it. It was a... a you know, well, a, in the Sam Raimi films, it does just shoot out of his wrist. Yeah. It's <laughs> organic. But it, in the comics, it's web shooters. It's uh, okay. to do with him being this, you know, science with... Okay, fair enough. Okay, yeah. And, and, and mate, I'm just being a bit picky there to be honest because <laughs> there, there was some really good stuff um and do you know what I, I, I it's a scene that i normally wouldn't have really got into but the scene where the crane drivers maneuver their cranes mm. that brought a lump to my throat actually I, 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 that was a really nice i quite liked it and i didn't know whether i should have liked it i thought it might have been a bit too cheesy but it, it was very yeah, I thought it was, it was cheesy. very cheesy and patriotic but do you know what? That just pushed a that mm. pushed a button inside me at that point. That 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 was one of the moments that I actually emotionally connected with Spider Man rather than with Peter Parker. Yeah, I mean it, it's interesting. I like Steve said it was a bit cheap. I thought it was perhaps a little bit too cheesy to be honest. It kind of didn't need to do that. But you know, I can understand why they've done it. Like you say, this is patriotic stuff, and old Americans and every man chips in to help out with Spider-Man defeating big evil monster. But I didn't like that bit that much. I thought it was just yeah, I thought that would just be me. <laughs> I'm the sentimental. Where, where, where was Iron Man? He lives in New York. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, why can't he? Do- yeah, what? What is interesting, though, is the fact that now um, Marvel films, or I think after the next sequel. Marvel films will, because they were part of this, but they, Sony won't have the rights to Spider-Man anymore. And so apparently the next Avengers film can have Spider-Man in it. And I think that does, I'd love to have, I'd love to see this Spider-Man being scripted and directed by Josh Whedon. I think that does really. Well, there, was, there was a rumor that, that Spider-Man had a cameo in the, in the newest Avengers film. Yeah, was it, but, but it, it didn't, didn't happen. But I mean, it was a, yeah, no, you're right. And someone else to remember that having, I, I forgot, shame, shame on me. I forgot that all Marvel films have a, a post-credit scene. So I, mm. I was desperate to get out. And no, get, I, I, but I've watched it on YouTube. Before, before, before we do that, what do you think of Reese Evans? I thought that the monster, the lizard looked terrible. And yeah, there's, a, there's, a, there's right. a film, I can't remember what it is, but I've seen a picture of it so many times from another film, and I can't think what it is. He looked but like looked... that old American sitcom where there was a family of dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dinosaurs. <laughs> yes. yeah. It, it but, looked bad, didn't mm. it? But I thought Kurt Connors, the character, was actually quite a decent character. Yeah. And I thought Reese Evans did quite well. from the comic books? Yeah. Okay. Although half the time it just looked like Reese fans was holding his arm behind his back, like 
It's, 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 it's interesting. I saw them some making part of the film, and uh, they just basically wrapped his arm in green. So then they oh, you know, yeah green screened it. So it is actually thing by his side. It just keeps it straight. Yeah. And, yeah. But half the time, I swear, it just looked like he was like <laughs> yeah. his back, and I thought yeah. they were just like skimping on the CGI <laughs> for those scenes or something. He didn't go well, Shiva. No, because you were talking about that last week, weren't you? And there was definitely a, another accent struggling mm. to fight its because, way out. Because in the five-year engagement, there wasn't really any need for his character to be Welsh, but I just sort of had this little idea in my head that because his Welsh accent is so strong and prominent, he started talking it, and then he had to go, yeah, yeah, I'm from Wales. Yeah. And I thought in, we could have a Welsh mad scientist in the end. Yeah. Saying, it, it, saying it is originally from yeah. Barry or something. What was Garfield's accent like, by the way? It was good. I, I, yeah. Actually, I forgot he was English. I, I totally forgot he was English. Because to be fair, he had a really good accent in the social network as well. Um, yeah, no, I, I, in fact, you saying that has literally just reminded me that he's not American. So that's got to say something about him. I, I, I think I prefer him talking in an American accent to English one anyway. Have you still yes. never let me go? Yes, yeah. He's good in it, but he's got such a whiny English voice. Yeah. Whereas yeah, when he's no. in the... No, he, he, his accent was actually very good. Um, yeah, I, I'm just trying to... Yeah. I think when he was playing Spider-Man, I thought he moved like Spider-Man should be moving. Yes, yeah. You know, if um, you think of the, in the, the original films, uh, the, the Raimi films, he's not really... He's not, he's not Spider-Man, Spider-Man, but it, 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 it's more like an interpretation of Spider-Man. In this yeah. one, he did move a lot more like Spider-Man, so yeah. you know the scene where they're in the school and he's sort of wrapping the lizard in the web, uh, yeah. and he's falling on. That was really good. I thought that was one of the best bits with him being Yeah, that was a really good scene, actually, yeah. yeah. Um, no, no, I, I totally agree. His, his, the whole, the whole movement thing was really good, and I don't know if that's just better CGI or if it's just the fact that Garfield got the character more. I, I'm not sure. I'm um, only fan of the comics, I think. So oh, that's good. He totally, totally outshines Tobey Maguire's effort in the in the three films before. So whatever I think of the film, in a way, it's an improvement because at the heart of it is a better actor who is embodying that role far better than it has been done before. So I, I think this franchise has some legs in it. I just don't think it's quite there yet, especially when it's up against some real comic book heavyweights this summer. Wait, after, like, after this, last summer, it might have been quite a big hit. This summer, I think it's going to be over. It won't, it won't have Batman to compete with anymore after this no. summer. No, exactly, and the Avengers won't come around for another three years or so. Oh, I hope it's so, than that. It was the... Superman. Superman could be a good film, I think. Who's, Superman could be. Who's, yeah. who's in this Superman film? I haven't heard really much about it. I can't remember who's Which, been cast. Because oh, the last, the last, the last one was rubbish. Yeah, it's uh, Zack Snyder's directing it though, and I, I mentioned him earlier. I think he's quite um, a good director of action. Certainly, visually with action stuff, he's excellent, isn't he? It's just whether he can deal with the rest of it. It's going to be the question with that one, I think. And that's assume. why I'm really happy that um, that Nolan's on board. I think Nolan's going to give him that um, 
you know, like teach him how to, it's almost like going back to film school or something, teach him how to structure a story and stuff like that. Um, it's, yeah, it's called Man of Steel, isn't it? I'm just having a quick look, see if anyone Henry has Henry Cavill. Henry Cavill is, is oh. Clark Kent. Amy Adams as Lois Lane, I like the idea of. That, do you, th- do you think we could see like a Batman versus Superman? Oh, it's got General Zod in it. It's got Michael Shannon as General Zod. Um, and it's got, uh, Kevin Costner as Jonathan Kent. This is really, this sounds, this could yeah. be brilliant and it could be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I think it um, could be quite good. Um, I don't know. Crow as Jor-El. Um, <laughs> wow. Lawrence Fishburne's in it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not quite sure how it's gonna go, but. Do you think we could, do you think we could see that Superman meeting Batman at some point? Uh, well, they've, they've tried sort of talking through Justice League sort of. Yeah, and, and any kind of tie ins and things like that. And I'm not sure that it's ever gonna happen because mm-hmm. you think you've got like the Green Lantern. Got, uh, did they ever make a Wonder Woman film? I don't think they no. did, but they, the superhero sort of tie-in market has probably been pretty much cornered by the Avengers. Mm. I'm not sure the that is, though, as the many way people I... go into... But just think, they've seen the Avengers and they think, I think if we can do our own one of them... Thinks, yeah, is they're going to see that making the billion dollars and think, well, we can do that. Let's just stick a load of ours in a film. I, I really think you'll see a Justice League of America film in the next five years simply because the Avengers were mm. so big. Whether it'll have um, yeah, Christian Bale as, um, as Batman is a different matter, but... Mm. Well, I think well, the problem with... He said he won't do it if, if Nolan isn't directing, so unless they manage yeah. to get Nolan to And now, now we're getting on to... Uh, and now we're getting on to theories of what actually happens to uh, Bruce Wayne stroke Christian Bale at the end of this. Anyway, what has let's uh, go Joseph Gordon-Levitt got to do with it? Let's, yes. let's, <laughs> let's go to the end of Spider-Man, the amazing Spider-Man. What about the post-credit scene? Who is it? Any theories? It's got to be Norman Osborn, hasn't it? I would, have, I would have thought so, just because, because Kirk Connor seems to know who he is and the guy, whoever it might be, seems to know about Peter Parker's and, family. And they actually mentioned Norman Osborn by name throughout the mm-hmm. film about the fact that he was dying, but they never showed him. Yeah. Uh, although, yeah, I, I actually still, I still really like Willem Dafoe's Norman Osborn, so I, I'd, I'd quite like it to be Willem Dafoe. <laughs> 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 I thought he was a good bad guy. I, I liked mm. him, but... Yeah, um, I think he was the standout performer in the original ones, really. He was, wasn't he? Was, wasn't he? Yeah. Um... And God, I've just realised that was James Franco as his son as well. God, he's come yeah. on, hasn't he? Oh, I'm so old. <laughs> you are old indeed. Yes. Shall we, shall we wrap it up this week I then? Think so. And, um, it's been an epic yeah. one. It's, it, this is actually, yeah. we've been recording longer than The Amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> we won't, we won't be, um, talking this long about male strippers next week. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Could give it a go. I won't be. You, yeah. you, you might be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll be back next week. So join us for Magic Mike and all that. Hold up. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 